Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN following the 4th of July weekend. It is Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, 702. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Even though you heard us on Friday, we weren't here. It was a best of show. So Michelle and I each had a, a three-day weekend. How was yours? Pretty good, Randy. It was warm out there, that's for sure. But, you know, nice to take an extra day and just relax. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> I golfed, I grilled, and I uh, rode my bike. So it doesn't get any better than that. So Did all my stuff. I was going to say all the things that would comprise a great Randy character yeah. weekend. And watched Hamilton. So did I. Yeah. And? Well, it's still great. Still great. I was worried that I wouldn't like watching the actual play because mm-hmm. I had it in my mind. I would have preferred that it was in a movie, you know, with a different set, except it was still great. Still yeah. just as great as when I saw it in the theater. It's amazing. And it has sold, I'm sure, a lot of Disney Plus subscriptions. I'm one of them. Yeah, we are too. Yeah, we bought the bundle. We just added to the ESPN Plus with Hulu now and, and Disney Plus. But if you do get the opportunity, it's a great history lesson. If, if nothing else, it's... If you didn't pay attention in history class, like me, me, then it's a pretty good history lesson. It's, I always thought that if I, and we're going to get a, on a somewhat of a 30-second tangent here, I always <laughs> thought if I was going to teach a history class, I would just use Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. And this is kind of the same thing. It's teaching in a different way that I'm able to actually learn. Well, I was thinking about that over the weekend, too. It's funny you mentioned that. I was thinking, okay, how many things have we learned via song? You learn the ABCs. There's the state song. There's so many things that you can... Reg- it registers different in your brain when you hear right. it via song. So, R- Randy, maybe you should have a second act as a teacher and go ahead and, you know, make up some songs that help the youth of America learn. That's not a good combination, Randy Carricker teaching. We are living history right now with COVID-19, the coronavirus, and baseball coming back for the shortest season in history. 60 games, we hope. The Cardinals, obviously, with summer camp, brought to you by Camping World, uh, going on over at Bush Stadium every single day. Andrew Miller, the Cardinal left-hander, was part of the committee to uh, the players negotiating committee and obviously is uh, a cardinal left-handed reliever and he was asked yesterday if he has any doubt being on that committee and going through what he went through any doubt at all whether or not this season is going to be able to be completed absolutely i mean i, I you know I, I think there's still some doubt that we're going to have a season now we're, we're here but i'm i'm from florida i, I Check my. I read my local paper every day, and I think it's you know we're over ten thousand cases again. So, you know, by no means is this a slam dunk. I think we're we're trying. We're going to give it our best effort. But you know, for me to sit here and say a hundred percent, I think would be you know a lie. So, 
were there various things that I thought could bring it down beyond the virus? Yeah, I think at some points I was a little frustrated with the way it was looking, but found our way through it and we're here. And, you know, now it's on, you know, the onus is on essentially the players and the staff to do their part. And hopefully the rest of society as well to, to kind of get this thing under control so we can play some games and, and hopefully, you know, just move forward in a positive direction all around. And the Cardinals have confirmed that Ricardo Sanchez and Henesis Cabrera have both tested positive for the coronavirus. They were on an airplane with a group of players that has not yet seen the field. Carlos Martinez, Alex Reyes, Junior Fernandez, Elhuris Montero, and Ivan Herrera. And also Giovanni Gallegos has not been able to fly from Mexico to the United States yet. We kind of anticipated that at least a player would test positive, right? Um, I think the positive news here, well, I guess I shouldn't say positive news. That really isn't the way to phrase this positive, negative test. Result. There's a lot of words that I need to just scrub from my <laughs> vocabulary when talking about any of this stuff. But I guess the um, if you're looking at this in, in uh, a good light is that they were both asymptomatic from what I've been reading. Yeah. So hopefully that means that they won't be out that long. And I'm sure that the Cardinals will be testing them frequently to make sure that they're getting negative tests, et cetera. But that doesn't surprise me. Two guys, potentially three guys that, that tested positive for COVID when everyone was out in the world encountering how many different people and they all got back together. That's about what I expected. How about you? Yeah, it is. And it's interesting. The major leagues had a plane chartered in the Dominican to go to Florida. And then the players dispersed from Florida to go to their various major league outposts, their cities. The Cardinal players that were on that plane, and by the way, Reyes wasn't in the Dominican. Reyes apparently was in Jupiter working out there. But you had Martinez, Reyes, Fernandez, Montero, and Herrera on a plane along with uh, the other two. So it's very likely, I would say, that the other two players uh because of the length of time the players were together, those uh, original two probably caused the virus to be contracted by the, the other ones, if, uh, if indeed they do have it. Montero, the Cardinals did, yeah. did um, announce also yeah, tested positive. Right. Yep. So most of the Cardinals are on the field, and Cardinal manager Mike Schilt yesterday reacted to a comment from Matt Carpenter. Carp said that Marp said that <laughs> it feels pretty normal once you get on the field. That's one thing that I'm you know, most pleased about is, is having that commonality of enjoyment of our our game. And that's why I'm confident the game will, you know, while be different, but people still appreciate it when they get to see it on TV. But yeah, just seeing the guys get out there and it's great to hear Carp say that, you know, you can see it in guys' energy and their body language. You also can hear it. They just, um, once you get out there and that's our hope is, look, we just get out there and that's our place to enjoy ourselves, which has been a the case for us for many years but just to get back to something we know we love and we're familiar with and it's feels like a you know some normalcy to it it uh it feels really good and the cardinals aren't a team at least based on the players that we've talked to and heard from so far that has a group that's really concerned dramatically uh to the point where they wouldn't play mm -hmm. the cardinal players seem to be on board with playing as opposed to uh, the the comments from Mike Trout, who and we're going to talk about him later, who has said that he's not necessarily comfortable playing. Buster Posey, David Price over the weekend yep. opted out. 
Uh, Mike Schilt said that he really hasn't heard from players, Michelle, that uh, have suggested they might opt out. Yeah, if you're hearing that all the players are excited to be back and that they've been wanting this, and I think at this point, if a Cardinals player did feel that way, we would have heard about it by now. So you ha- there's so many factors that are going into this season that are unusual, one of them being the fact that the team is together and that they all seemingly want to play and that the team is getting in that cohesive rhythm and they don't have to worry about guys potentially opting out already. How much of that do you think is a result of the fact that they feel like they have a real good chance to win? You look at Mike Trout, you look at Buster Posey, they're They've made a lot of money, and their teams don't have a great chance to win this year. David Price won a championship mm-hmm. two years ago. He's got his money. Now, obviously, family is a huge part of this, but Cardinal guys have families. Matt yeah. Carpenter, Adam Wainwright, those guys all have families. So I wonder how much of it is playing on a team where, A, you maybe you don't have a chance to win, or like with the Washington guys, Ryan Zimmerman, or you've won recently and you have your money. But Adam Wainwright's won already. Yachty's won already. You know, there's there's guys on this team that have yeah. won before and that are still out there as hungry as ever to win. You know what I think it is truly? I think a lot of it has to do with Mike Schilt. I think that they have great leadership within that clubhouse. And I know that I would feel more comfortable coming to work if I knew that the bosses ahead of me were taking this as seriously as I was and that they were going to put me in the best position to be safe and healthy. And Schilt was happy yesterday when those guys that you talked about got together with the youngsters on the team and said, hey, we got to be smart. It's better that they message and are collaborative amongst themselves. Uh, I, I would say it's in concert with the messaging that's taking place from the organization, including myself. And, um, you know, part of the clubhouse meeting today was, was that. And, and um, they had their own conversation about it. And I think it's wonderful. And creating clarity about what expectations are. And, and then we talk about, and look, you know, and I've said it sincere about it, our, our chief primary concern and mine has always been since the day I started coaching is is the players and making sure they're feeling safe and comfortable. And now it's a it's a different world. And we're going to make sure that they feel like um, they've gotten what they need. They're getting what they need. They're getting the protocols and they're getting the information. And we're executing as as an organization, which we are. It's exactly what you said, right? I was just saying, if you're a player and that's your manager and he's saying that and then you have the leaders of the team also saying, hey, we have to take this seriously. We have to be smart about what we're doing. That would make me, as a player, feel more comfortable going into this very unknown situation. Meanwhile, hockey, the negotiations continued. We thought we were going to have a vote over the course of the weekend. Bob McKenzie of TSN reporting that negotiations to finalize a CBA extension and a memo of understanding are not expected to be concluded with a tentative agreement until today. The process will resume. They've got some T's to cross, I's to dot, but there is a belief that by the end of today, the NHL will have a new CBA, and they have agreed on their return-to-play protocols testing. They will be in Edmonton and Toronto. So nice, Randy, to just have it done, right? And then we don't have to hear about all the squabbling back and forth. Just put them in a room or put them in a Zoom meeting and get it done. It's not that difficult. The room where it happens, right, Randy? Exactly. That's something that we saw this weekend. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, a big story over the weekend. A team with a new name, perhaps. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Washington Redskins nickname has been a point of contention for many, many, many years. But it reached a boiling point over the weekend. We learned on Friday that, among other companies, FedEx and Nike, and FedEx, by the way, has the naming rights to the Redskins Stadium, FedEx Field, 
Fred Smith, the chairman of FedEx, is a part owner of the Redskins. Nike obviously has a lot of power within the NFL. They took all of their Redskins merchandise off of their website as of Thursday. So we learned that they had threatened to withhold any money for the Washington Redskins unless the Redskins changed their name. And Dan Snyder, Michelle, is listening to money, which is his language, and According to Ron Rivera, he, Snyder, and Rivera are working on new names for the Redskins that would uh, provide a new name for them for the 2020 season, if it's played. It's about time. This conversation, as you said, has been going on for a long time. This has been uh, a, a team name that has been offensive to a lot of people for a long time. And I was reading the Washington Post last night, who was obviously more plugged in on this story than anything. And it seems like internally there is still a little bit of an issue with Dan Snyder. How I mean, he has been very vocal about not wanting to remove the name and has been very defiant about doing so. And it seems like even though there's still been some corp- some major financial and corporate support being pulled from him, that he's still trying to find people internally that will kind of back him on this. But I don't think he really has a choice. I, I don't think he does. I think that you're going to see... Uh, so much pressure be put on him that we're going to hear a name change soon and at least before the beginning of the NFL season. And word this morning that three, the three minority owners of the Redskins, they own 40% of the franchise, Robert Rothman, Dwight Shar, and Fred Smith, have hired an investment firm to undergo a search for possible buyers. So they, they want to get out from Snyder uh, right now. I... I can tell you this, as somebody who was a Redskins fan, in the time that we didn't have a franchise here, from 1988 until 1995, and I maintained an allegiance to the Redskins even after the Rams came here. They were kind of my number two team. I did develop kind of an an emotional attachment to the team name. And I'm sure that's what Dan Snyder, as somebody who uh, has been a fan of the franchise since he was a little kid, he's developed. But you don't see the rest of the world. I think you you have a pretty myopic view and say, well, no, this is my team name and we're going to have this name and I don't care what anybody thinks. But that's not the world that we live in. And it really took a financial threat to, to bring him down. And apparently, according to Rivera, they're down to two names. Now, Michelle, you had... A similar, although not identical, situation as a, uh, a grad and a, a student at the University of Illinois. Yeah, I was there uh, the year that the chief was removed. And kind of like Washington, this was a conversation that had swirled around Illinois for a very long time. It was a very big hot button issue. And when I was at school and the chief would come out, you could hear a pin drop. It was, People very much revered the chief. There was very much a lot of respect that went towards the chief. So I think initially that was something that I kind of grappled with because I thought, well, you know, I understand that people are upset, but we're very respectful to the chief. We're very respectful to the culture. But then you do even just a little bit of research or have any sort of meaningful conversation with someone who's Native American or with a group of people, that, ooh, as my phone goes off, that are against this. And you start to understand that this is hurtful and problematic and racially insensitive. And I guess at the end of the day, the way that I viewed it is I love my school. It's always going to be a part of me. And I would never want something that I represent or something that's such a big part of me to project hatred or make any sort of group anywhere feel lesser than. Mm -hmm. And so the chief was removed. Here's the problem with Illinois, though, is that they removed the chief and it's been 10 years and there's still no mascot. They should have done them both in concert with one another. They should have said, hey, 
we are going to remove remove the chief from this equation and here's the new mascot because that right. debate has waged on for all of this time. And I, I think you also have to look at the state. The actual state is named after Native American tribes. Right. So where does this end where you think you're honoring, you should be honoring people and cultures, but if they're offended by it, then you have to change it. Right. And I think that Washington's going to have... Obviously, an entire. You know what the funny part about this is that Dan Snyder, for the longest time, has been so against this, and then he's going to reap all of these financial benefits when yeah. they roll out the new name, and everyone that's a fan of the team goes out and they buy new gear and they buy the hats and all this. So at the end, he's going to have some sort of financial bonus because of the way that he's handled this, which seems unfair. I wonder though if fans, because this team has been bad for a long time, ever since Snyder bought Mm -hmm. the franchise now, we're 20 years in, 21 years in, and the franchise has been bad. And I would think that the people that are emotionally invested are emotionally invested because of the Super Bowl championships of 82, 87, and 90. And I wonder if, kind of like Browns fans when when they became the Ravens, Mm -hmm. or Oilers fans when they became the Titans, I wonder if this will break an emotional tie for a lot of those fans. And the number of seats, and by the way, there are thousands and thousands of seats available at FedEx Field. I wonder if people will say, yeah, I don't really need to deal with that. It's I don't have any tie to that franchise at all. They're terrible. And I, I grew up, if you are somebody from Virginia or D.C. or Maryland, going to the games with your parents, singing Hail to the Redskins, if, if none of that is there anymore, then why waste the money? That's actually a really interesting point. Oh, there's the answer from Wikipedia. How about that? Our phones are both going nuts in this section. Um, That's really an interesting point because, again, reading the Washington Post, who's boots on the ground, very involved there. um, I I wonder how many fans have already gotten to that apathy point with this team anyway. When you, I mean, we we know what it's like. 15 and 65 Rams. We know what it's like Mm -hmm. to have a very bad and very dysfunctional team where it's just the cycle is never ending. It's bad team, bad draft picks, new coach. And it's just the same bad ownership in place. You get to a point where you're just fed up. And I wonder, Randy, if you're not right here and that there's a lot of fans who have no emotional ties to this team anymore, they're probably not going to be going to games this season. It seems like if there ever was a time for people to defect from cheering for this team, that now is the time. And in reading the Washington Post, it sounds like it's just as chaotic as ever internally. You have Ron Rivera, who was an amazing coach, come in and establish a lot of protocols and at least a bit of a culture on the football side. And then you read about the fact that they removed Bruce Allen from the equation and that Dan Snyder still hasn't really hired anybody that's the point person from a business or an operations standpoint. So he's having Ron Rivera run point for all of this stuff that he did not sign up for. And while publicly Ron Rivera is saying, hey, it's not a big deal, I'm adjusting, they're saying internally he's like, I, I didn't sign up to be the voice of of this organization for for, you know, the, the death of George Floyd, for the the name change. Mm-hmm. This is all that stuff that I was equipped to do. I just wanted to come here and do the football side of things. So you think you finally got the right coach. But is the infrastructure inside and the lack of culture and the ownership so chaotic that you could even push somebody like Ron Rivera out the door? And if I'm a fan of that team and there's all of these things going on around me, I'm wondering why why would I want to give this organization or this guy my money? Bingo. I don't. I'm with you. Here's Adam Schefter of ESPN. The Redskins have been in discussions with the NFL. You mentioned the fact that this also was a money decision, and FedEx wanted the Redskins to change the name. Nike seemingly pulled the merchandise off its website 
And the other big sponsor of the Washington Redskins is Pepsi. We were waiting to hear from Pepsi. It has not said anything publicly just yet, but obviously it seemed like that was going to be the third domino that was going to fall. And if you've got your three big sponsors all showing resistance to you continuing on with a name that in these times seems very insensitive, then it looks like change must come. And when the Redskins make that announcement this morning, Matt, that say they're going to have a thorough review of their name, you don't make that announcement unless you intend to make a change. Change is coming to Washington. I do expect that team to be called the Redskins this season. And now the only question that remains is what will they change the name to? Because it won't be Washington Redskins in 2020. In 2015, Dan Snyder trademarked the name Washington Warriors, trying to get an Arena League team in Washington. Uh, Ron Rivera says he wants to, he his preference would be to have a name that honors both Native Americans and the military, and so they could do that. And then another name that's been brought up that seems to be a favorite is Red Tails. That was a group of Tuskegee Airmen during World War II, mm-hmm. uh, all black fighter pilots, and their planes had Red Tails. So those are two possibilities for the franchise. As someone who was a fan, do you have a preference? Not really. No, I I, I think either one. I think for me it would be a, a flip of the coin. I, I would think, though, that here, here's the thing. Native Americans, uh, we heard this on Golik and Wingo, they want to have a seat at the table here. If they're going to be honoring Native Americans, they want to have a seat at the table. Are they going to be on board with warriors? Do, do, do they want people, do they want to be associated with that term, with warrior? I don't know. It, if you just go away from the idea of, honoring Native Americans and apologizing and saying, we made a mistake, go with Red Tails and you're named after an airplane. I think that's probably the best thing to do. With a great history, too. Yeah. And obviously honoring minorities at Mm -hmm. this time. And they could make a pretty cool logo out of it. So I'm okay with that one. I don't know if Warriors is going to go over. I, I don't I, think it will. I, I think that it's different than the Golden State Warriors because of your previous history with it, with the name Redskins. I think people say, well, it's it's the same thing. It's just different. Yeah, and I would think that if they're going to do this, they're not going to want to in any way have a new name that would in any way even cause a spark of controversy or a spark of, of debate. They just want to do it, unveil it, and then, hey, this is what we're doing moving forward. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. Coming up, what if Mike Trout decides to sit out the 2020 baseball season? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. One question uh, that was asked on the text line, and feel free to join us anytime on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 or leave us a Rhino Shield mic drop for whatever you want to talk about during the show. The Air Comfort Service text line 65780 uh, from our last segment. Randy, do you mean if people are offended by it, you've got to change it? Why are people so offended? And I think that's part of evolution and enlightenment. When when Michelle Smallman started at Illinois, she didn't realize what the effect of Chief Alinewek was on people. As a Redskins fan, I say, well, it's just a team name. We're honoring the the people, that uh, the, the Native Americans. Well, they don't feel that way. And I think that's part of the enlightenment is you learn that a segment of society is bothered. They feel like the, this is an offense to them. They are offended by it. And I just... I'm like you, Michelle. I I wouldn't want people to be hurt by the fact that 
there is a team name, a sports team name that they believe is offensive to them. Well, isn't sports supposed to bring together a community? It's supposed to be a unifier. So if any faction of that community feels less than because of the name of your team, you're kind of defeating the point. Of, of having that team name. Right, it's no, not galvanizing anymore. It's not galvanizing anymore. And I think for me, the turning point at Illinois, you know, I have Native American heritage, and, and that's where my name comes from. Small, I'm Italian, but Smallman comes from my Native American heritage. Mm-hmm. And having those conversations and learning more about Native Americans and their history in this country, it is not a great history. And so if I grew up perhaps in a in a different environment where I was aware of my heritage in that way and saw my culture and things that I revered being characterized almost out on a, a sports field, mm-hmm. I, I would be offended by that. And as part of a school that I love and in, in a, a place that I call home in a lot of ways, I, I don't want any part of that to oppress or to make anyone feel less than welcomed and do anything less than unify a group of people. And I will fully admit that I had that myopic view talking about the Redskins as a fan. I, I didn't care about other people. But I, as I said, I hope that I've evolved and I've become more enlightened and I have a broader view. And I do take into account the feelings of others more than I did then. Well, and I think that isn't this part of a, a more general conversation about that's why we're having these conversations yeah. now is you listening to us might not understand it, but we're not necessarily the, we're just the vessel to explain to you why other people are upset and hurt by this and why they feel that having a native American mascot is destructive and problematic in a lot of ways. But you need to have those conversations with the people that it's affecting directly or read about the people that it's affecting directly, because that's really what this entire conversation is about. Let's talk about baseball. Mike Trout is in camp with the Angels, but says he's not necessarily comfortable with playing this season. As we know, his wife is expecting their first baby in August, and he's still not sure whether or not he's going to play, whether he might opt out. I wonder, Michelle, if he would opt out within the next couple of weeks, if that would have a dramatic effect. If people would, if other players would say, well, if he's not playing, then I, I'm more comfortable not playing. Buster Posey, by the way, another player, a former MVP and a World Series hero for the Giants, has also said that he's uncomfortable. Those are a couple of names, I think, that if you don't see them on the field and they say, no, this isn't for me, I believe that more players might say, yeah, me either. See, I have a very different perspective. I don't think Mike Trout carries that weight. I respect him immensely. I respect that he is very concerned about his family and his pregnant wife and being there for that moment and doesn't want to risk his health or potentially her health or their child's health in any way. That's what you should be concerned about first and foremost. But Mike Trout also does not care about being a superstar. Anytime that he's talked about this, he says, I just want to play baseball. I don't care about being a superstar. And I don't think that others look at him as a superstar. I think people in baseball respect his ability. But if, if LeBron James says, I'm not playing, the NBA does not happen. He's the one guy in sports. If Tom Brady says, I'm not playing, will the NFL go on? Probably. But will it cause a lot of people to really question if they're going to go out there? If Tom Brady says he's not going to play? Sure. I think if Mike Trout says he doesn't 
want to play. Most people in baseball and more importantly, most fans of baseball will just be like, okay, we get it. His wife is pregnant. That's his right to feel that way. But I do not think he carries enough star power or enough weight, especially with the team he plays for and the market that he plays for, to really cause a massive ripple effect. See, and, and I don't think that it would be a situation where people would say, well, we're not playing because he's not playing. I think it would be more a comfort level thing where if the best player says, I'm not playing, and I think players would say, well, he's our best, therefore most important guy, then I don't need to play either. That's the way I would look at it. Now, you heard a great comment from Sean Doolittle, the Nationals closer, and this is what he had to say about baseball coming back in 2020. We're trying to bring baseball back during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people. We're way worse off in a, as a country than where we were in March when we shut this thing down. And like, look at where other developed countries are in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. And we're just trying to just bring it back, even though we've taken none of the steps to flatten the curve, whatever you want to say. We did flatten the curve for a little bit, but we didn't use that time to do anything productive. We just opened back up for Memorial Day. We decided we're done with it. If there aren't sports, it's going to be because people are not wearing masks because the response to this has been so politicized. Like we need help from the general public. If they want to watch baseball, like please wear a mask, social distance, keep washing your hands. We can't just have virus fatigue and think, well, it's been four months. Like we're over it. This has been enough time, right? We've waited long enough. Like shouldn't sports come back now? No, there's things we have to do in order to bring the stuff back. And now you want to bring fans back. Is that safe? I'm not a public health expert, but like, we should probably re- defer to them on some of these issues. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it's safe or not. I really don't know. That is Sean Doolittle of the Washington Nationals. And obviously he has read and has a pretty good understanding of what's going on. And you hear him a little bit muffled because he was doing his interview with a mask mm-hmm. on. And it's there's there's really a lot of different avenues that you can look at this situation. You can look at players and say, well, hey, I have to go back to work. I'm not being tested at work. They're being tested. They are put in a very safe position. So, you know, they're better off than a lot of Americans going back to their normal workplace. But when you hear Sean Doolittle talk about that and about how he doesn't necessarily feel like this virus has been treated the way that it should be in this country and that as a player, they're kind of being forced into, not forced, they have the option to choose, but to put into the situation whether they want to play or not, where all of these factors, these outside factors are happening that they don't necessarily have control over, that's got to be scary if you're a player. It's got to be something that you're looking at saying, okay, the media's coming in, they're talking about fans coming in, we have workers coming in, I know people are being tested, I know people are taking precautions, but at the end of the day, am I really in the best position to be healthy for myself and potentially my family? It's 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 a tough spot for them to be in. It really is. And the Cardinal left-hander Andrew Miller talked about how it's more than just the players. Everybody needs to be accountable. Yeah, it's huge. If if we're gonna, if this is gonna work, if if Major League Baseball is gonna have a season, it's gonna be because players have been responsible and staff. It's not you know the the tier one and tier two and you know the individuals that could potentially bring this into our you know bubbles. The kind of you know terminology everybody's loving to use right now. It's uh, it's a large group of people and the responsibility for them to, you know, I, I mask are obviously a hot topic in some places. And, you know, I won't get too political on my thoughts or anything, but uh, if we want to play, I think that we're going to have to be very bought into the protocols that the union and Major League Baseball came up with. I think that 
you know, we're going to be uncomfortable. There's things that we're not going to want to do. And uh, at the same time, there's a responsibility. There's, there's people's health and safety. I, I you know, I don't want to bring it in and give it to somebody else who then gives it to somebody else and, and find out that somebody got really, really sick that, you know, was doing their best to avoid it. And yet somehow I'm at fault. You know, I don't want to be the one that brings down a, a season in which billions of dollars of people's livelihoods. And this is, you know, that goes beyond player salary and, and owners earnings. You know, we have people in this room that are relying on a baseball season, I assume to, to make ends meet. So it's uh there's a lot of responsibility. And, you know, I think that there's going to be a little bit of luck to be completely honest in my opinion, but the responsibility part, if somebody doesn't, if guys don't take that seriously, I don't think we have any chance. And as we saw with the blues, all it takes is a little irresponsibility to cause a major problem. And you don't even know what level of irresponsibility it was. While the reports were that they were out at a bar, they could have just been at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, you literally, anytime you are leaving your house or in an environment that you're controlling, even if you're wearing a mask, even if you're washing your hands, even if you're socially distancing, there's a chance that you could get this virus. And while doing all of those things lessens that percent, it still is, you could get it at the grocery store. You could get it anywhere that you're out living your life, but you just have to be really smart if you're putting yourself in that situation. And like you said, this could have just been guys out going to dinner or hanging out or you let your guard down just a little bit. And then all of a sudden four players and an assistant coach are testing positive. And it is interesting that a lot of smart baseball people really question whether or not baseball can pull this off because of what we're talking about. Well, I think Andrew Miller put it beautifully. It's going to take a big wave of personal responsibility and luck. Luck is definitely going to be involved in in having this go off without a hitch. And, you know, both of those guys, Sean Doolittle and Andrew Miller, both talked about this in a in a broader conversation about society and how about how society is also going to have to do their part for sports to really come back, for this to all work. And I know that we tend to put sports on a pedestal and that in, in a perfect world, we would like to look at the NHL bubble going off or the NBA or baseball. And if it's like the Korean baseball league and, and no one's testing positive and we're looking at that, I would like to think America would want to emulate that if, if these leagues are seeing success. But unfortunately, I think that's going to give us a false sense of security. And it's going, it's going to feel like our lives are more normalized when we have sports back in the rotation. And if we're already seeing fatigue in this country of people saying, you know what, everybody's going to get it. We need to live our lives, et cetera even though we're seeing numbers spike every day, if you think that watching sports isn't going to make you feel more like, hey, things are things are back to normal, things are okay, I think we're sadly mistaken. It's going to. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. This is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We do appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy and Take It or Leave It. Tanner Hendrickson is here and has your Teolis for us. Tanner, take it away. So, guys, on July 4th, Joey Chestnut set the world record for the most hot dogs eaten with 75 eaten hot dogs during the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Take it or leave it, you could eat 75 hot dogs in just a year alone. I'll take it that I I could do 75 in a year. Yeah, I could do 75 in a year. Joey Chestnut is the greatest athlete of all time. 
Go tell me, on. Tell go me on. I'm wrong. Go on. Uh, what, Explain what's, yourself. What's, what's Brady have? Six championships? Mm-hmm. What's Bill Russell have? Twelve? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Joey's up to 13 now. Joey has all the records. And it's not just in hot dog eating. It's every other endeavor of competitive eating. He is the most dominant athlete in the history of the world. In the history of the world, yep. you say? Yeah. Nobody else is close. He's the man. And he has been for a decade and a half now. And I guess we do treat competitive eating as a sport. It has. It's kind of like the NFL. The NFL owns Sundays. It, it owns the 4th of July. It sure does. It owns a day. Yeah. A very a very patriotic day. <laughs> so you watch this? Oh yeah. I can't watch it, and you know, my there's good- rarely a reversal of fortune. I don't think you'd have any trouble with it. I thought it was going to be a real problem once they switched to HD. It's not. It's not. So no. I've seen the highlights, and you know, my good buddy Mike Golick Jr. actually yeah. called the action. He was born to do that, by the way, and I was super proud of him, super pumped for him. But I can't watch it, Randy. It is so disturbing to me. The way that they are shoveling the food in their mouths and their shrapnel going everywhere. It's There's just, a talent there. There, I mean, it's definitely a skill set. They train for this. You know, they 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 train for this. Not everybody can do it, but that doesn't make it any less disgusting in my book. I'm with you there, Michelle. I can't watch it's it. It's just really gross. Chestnut, by the way, 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Oh, my God. And the uh, that seven straight titles, uh, or no, uh, our friend of the station, Mickey Sudo, won her seventh straight title on the women's side. Joey has uh, won 12 of the last 13. And he eats 75 and the other person, the, the number two eater eats like in the 40s. Randy, if he was the most dominant athlete in the world, don't you think that he would have 13 of 13? Uh, there was just an off year. <laughs> yeah, Matt Stoney won that one year. So, eh, no, he, he's got to have an off day sometime. Oh, so he's a mere mortal. I don't know. I've never seen anybody else do 75. Nobody else has seen 75 hot dogs eaten in 10 minutes. So you settle in and you you watch this whole thing. Oh, yeah. A whole thing. That's 10 minutes. Still. But the introductions are awesome. Yeah, they are. They're very cool. But still. I saw, I think I saw on Twitter the other day that he could have sat out the last five and a half minutes of this year's contest and still won. Yeah, he's pretty good. So he's competing against himself. He really is, yeah. And he only beat the record by two, I think, one and a half. I think the old record was 73 and a half dogs and buns in 10 minutes. So he only beat it by one and a half. But, yeah, he's competing for the records to be the the greatest there ever was. Mm. You're grossed out. I really am. Take it or leave it in the short MLB season. It's going to take 25 home runs to win this year's home run crown. I'll take that. 25 would be yeah, a good year. Yeah, that would be. Gosh, think about that, how crazy that, that is. Yeah. That we could be crowning a home run king with yeah. 25 home runs. It, normally, we're, it might be 20, wouldn't you think, in a 60-game season? Because usually 50 is a really good year, and that's a third of the season. So if you do 20, that would be a third of the season. So 20 might do it for you. 20, 20 might 21. do it. Wow. Interesting. Who's going to win? Judge? I'll go with him. Yeah, he can stay healthy for 60 games. <laughs> 62, no. But yeah, 60, he can. 60, all right. We're good. All right. Take it or leave it. We see more than 40 different players up with the Cardinals this year. Well, I'm going to take it because we're going to start with 30. Mm-hmm. 
And I have to believe injuries and positive tests and the fact that the Cardinals do have that 60-player pool and a 40-man roster, I'm going to take that. Yeah, that 40 will be the magic number. I'm going to take it as well because I think you you mentioned both things. Not only are you worrying about injuries, but you've got potential positive tests or people that are automatically going to have to go on the, the COVID list. Yeah. Take it or leave it. The NFL PA board wants no preseason games this year. Take it or leave it. If there are no preseason, ga- pre-season games this year, the first half of this season will be some of the worst football we have ever seen. Yeah, I'll take that. Although the early part of the season has become pretty bad anyway. I was just going to say that. And what coaches need to do, this will work in the favor to me of a guy like Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, the college coaches that haven't had preseason games that can prepare their team for the regular season without preseason games will have a distinct advantage. As opposed to the, the guys that, and I don't think Belichick, he, he doesn't even play his players. A lot of the Right. Most of the top players don't play during preseason games anyway. But it's preparing the rest of the guys, not the top players. I think college coaches will do a better job of that in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, I was going to leave it because we already see that at the beginning of a normal NFL season anyway. I don't really think that those preseason games make that much of a difference. Also, it says that it's going to be some of the worst ball football we've ever seen. I'm going to leave it. We watched the Rams. That's true. Okay, we have watched. For, for us. Yeah, for us sitting here, we have endured some really bad football. Honestly, some teams' preseason games are better than anything we have seen here in St. Louis. Including the last four games of the season when exactly. you've got everything going. Exactly. Man, we have had some bad, bad football Yes, here. we have. <laughs> Take it or leave it. There should be concerns with players like Gallegos, who's going to miss time in summer camp because of travel issues. I'm going to leave it. I think that he'll be okay as long as he's a one-inning guy. But, Michelle, we were talking uh, off the air about how every day Carlos Martinez misses in terms of throwing. You've got Wainwright and Flaherty already ready to go four. And it would seem to me every day that Carlos Martinez misses on that field probably pushes him more to the ninth inning. Or more bullpen pitchers that test positive. Yep. Potentially. And where you need him. Where you need him. Yeah, because Gallegos was, to me, it was Gallegos and Helsley, probably, if he's right. in the rotation that you're looking at. That's another good point. So if Gallegos doesn't have enough time to impress, yeah, you that absolutely could play a huge role here. I'm taking it, too, because any pitchers that are missing time in an already abbreviated time period that they need to get ready for this is concerning to me. Especially Alex Reyes. I'm bummed about Alex Reyes not being there. Me, too. Take it or leave it. KK is a dark horse for the Cardinals' closer role this year. Mm. I'll take that. I'll take that, too. Yeah, They love his stuff. He's versatile. Yep. And even though he's been a guy, I think his last year in Korea, he threw 189 innings. But his stuff is such that he could certainly be a dark horse for that role. All right. From the 309, take it or leave it. It doesn't matter if there's bad football as long as we can gamble on it. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that, too. Yeah, just you've got a couple of degenerates in our afternoon show here that don't care about the quality. They just care about the point spread. So we got to take that. I think this is the year, Randy, that I'm going to really embrace gambling. I've never played fantasy football. I've never done daily mm-hmm. fantasy. I've never really gambled. This is the year. I think one this of the things the BT says is never bet the under. Always bet the over. Okay. Because emotionally, you just can't handle rooting against somebody to score. You have to root for somebody to score. That's okay. I like that line of thinking. I like that. But, I mean, we're going to need them to give me a few pointers. 
Oh, yeah. On how to not only do this effectively, but to do it in a fun way. The 13-team parlays. Brad, last year for college, had a Saturday where he had a 13-team parlay and got the first 12, and then the 13th team didn't cover for him. No way. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, he would have made tons of money. Happens. Tanner, thank you, sir. Thank you. That's Tanner, and that's Tioli on 101 ESPN. As we roll on, it's time for our fresh take as the Cardinals get ready for baseball in 2020. It's coming your way. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, we asked... Greg Amzinger of MLB Network last week about an X factor for the Cardinals, and he was very quick to respond, Matt Carpenter. If Matt Carpenter hits like we know he can hit, then he'll be the X factor for the Cardinals. And Mark met with the media via a Zoom room get-together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the way the Cardinals are having the players meet with the media now. And we remember during spring training how effective he was at hitting the ball to the left field and trying to get back that stroke that made him such a great hitter in 2013 through 2018. And actually 17. He pulled the ball a lot in 2018. And we asked him what the layoff was like for him down in Texas. You know, for me, it was, uh, you know, pretty, I was pretty lucky in the sense that, you know, even throughout the whole quarantine, I was able to continue pretty much doing the same thing I was doing in spring training as we left camp still being able to go out and take ground balls um, you know had a facility where I could hit and train so you know didn't really miss a beat it's pretty cool to know that a he was able to go out and field and I think a lot of people believe that he'll spend a lot of time at DH this year but if he can maintain hitting the ball the other way if he can if he was able to work on that and just doesn't get away from that I think he can be a huge X factor for the Cardinals I think he can too and <laughs> We always talk about Matt Carpenter working too hard. Mm-hmm. Imagine being left to his own devices oh, man. during this quarantine, knowing that he has a season where he really needs to bounce back and prove himself to Cardinals fans and to this organization and how seriously he takes that. I mean, I imagine him there from sun up till sundown. I don't think there's any doubt about it, that that's what he was doing. And that's what he would like to do in this camp. Because down in Jupiter, he gets there early. He's one of the first players on the field. He's one of the last players to leave every single day during spring training. And now you've got summer camp, brought to you by Camping World, uh, 2020. And how does this feel at Bush Stadium as opposed to Jupiter? Once we step out, I was telling my family this the other day, because everybody's curious at how everything's going. And once you step out on the field, everything's pretty much the same. Back to baseball feels pretty normal. But, I mean, there's nothing about what leads up to that that feels normal whatsoever. You know, the moment you pull into the clubhouse, I mean, we're living in a different world right now. We're, you know, and nothing is, you know, the conveniency that we're all accustomed to, just, you know, the routine and all the things that, you know, you do to get yourself ready to play a major league game or, or go through a major league practice has completely changed. And so, you know, it's not easy, It's but it's our new normal. So we just got to get used to it. So, but, you know, like I said, once we step out on the field, everything feels normal. And it is, it's got to be difficult, not difficult, just different in that pro athletes are catered to mm-hmm. throughout their entire careers. Everything is in place to make them feel comfortable. And they're, number one, you lose your comfort level because it's not the same as it was. And then you have to take these tests every day or every other day. It's got to be strange to not have things as easy as you've always had them. 
I'm sure it's taking a, a bit of an adjustment period for a lot mm-hmm. of these players to get used to. But I don't wonder if that might not have a positive effect on them in some way. I mean, think about when you're in the minor leagues or, you know, just wondering if you have to fight for your job, right? To put that in that, to put players in that state of uncomfortability to where they know tomorrow's not promised to them where, hey, shoot, we just watched our entire season essentially go up in flames and we're living in this new reality. And who knows if I'm going to test positive. I need to play every day and have this sense of urgency and this sense of hunger like we might not play tomorrow. I don't wonder if that's going to have a positive effect on on some teams. I think it will. And that's something that Carpenter reacted to yesterday is that 60-game season. Yeah, I think this year is more of a sprint. You know, you you don't really have, you know, if anything, all of us are fresh. And you've got 60 games to kind of give it your best effort, get after it, and see what see what happens. So I don't think we'll – I speak for myself. I don't think I'll be monitoring it as closely, you know, because I, I, I feel like, you know, anybody can just go after it for, you know, three months. And, you know, you don't really have to leave anything in the tank um, for that late push because there really is no late push. It's kind of just boom. So – but I think it'll be good. I think all of us are excited and ready to go, and we'll have a ton of energy from start to finish. Remember how Tony Larusa, especially in April and May, he would have those lineups that we all questioned for day games. And then if they wanted, he'd say it's like winning a doubleheader because mm-hmm. the players are going to be fresher in August, the regulars, because I gave them this day off in April or May. Early in this season, Schultz doesn't have that luxury of if they have a getaway day and they have to play uh, – a Tuesday night in St. Louis and then a Wednesday in Chicago, they're going to have the luxury of playing that lesser lineup. Those guys, like Matt said, they're going to have to get after it. The regulars are every single day. Every single day. And when he talks about how they would leave something in the tank and how they can't do that anymore, that is just another echo to your point. But while they talk about being fresh, I wonder how quickly it's going to take them to adjust to this new level of fatigue that they're going to have. When your routine is not the same and you don't know how to adjust accordingly, you're going to have to find out pretty quickly what you can and can't do from a physical standpoint, from what you need to do on your routine every day to maintain your body in the sprint. And I think that's going to be another factor that we see impacting teams is who is going to know how to adjust accordingly and what teams are going to crash and burn pretty quickly. One of the things that Colton Wong, when when Wonger first came back and was working with the young at the ballpark, we had him on the fast lane, and he talked about something as simple that I would have never thought of, of just standing for a long time. Yeah. Because baseball players do stand for a long time, and most of us have been sitting around. And that hot uniform, too. Right. And that's, uh, I think Adam Wainwright brought that up yesterday, is it's different when you go out there with your baseball pants on, mm-hmm. as opposed to just wearing shorts and a t-shirt and throwing. And those are all things that the players are having to reacquaint themselves with. It's a new normal, as Matt Carpenter said. It is. And so Marp is back, and he was able to work out during the course of the pandemic uh, or during the course of the layoff from the pandemic. And he was asked how the pitchers look. I think they look great. I think it's the standard old age of right back to pitchers are always a little ahead of hitters. You know, they look good, and we're trying to catch up to it. But, you know, I think we, you know, you guys know as well as I do, one thing that is a strong suit for this club is our arms. We've got a lot of good arms. They all look great. They're all healthy, ready to go. So it's a, it's a good thing. 
So it's good to know that a guy who has been facing pitching, not live pitching, but he's been working throughout mm-hmm. the course of the, the three months. It's not like he's been a guy that's been stuck in his home and didn't have any facilities. So he's a, he knows what pitching is, looks like right now. He says, these guys are looking great. He knows what good pitching looks like yeah. at this stage, too. So to hear that, that they look good, and as Marp said, they've got a lot of arms. They've got a lot of depth. So to think that consistently those Cardinals pitchers are ready to go, it's a good good notion for this club. I'm telling you, we, we did this last week, but I love the idea of the vintage Matt Carpenter hitting third for this team. Wong, Goldschmidt, Carpenter, DeYoung. If you could get Matt Carpenter to hit in the three-hole, and he's never really... And you don't have time to give him a lot of time to to get great in the three-hole. But if what you see in summer camp 2020, brought to you by Camping World, <laughs> is great, if, if, if you see that, you can plug him into the three-hole, then I think you really have a nasty lineup for opposing pitchers to deal with. It sounds ideal, but mm-hmm. I just don't know if he's going to be there. I hope he is. I do, too. I just if, don't, if, I don't know. If he could deliver... Uh, what would be the the equivalent here? Fifty five doubles over, and I'm not even going to. I'm going to say if he could be a fifty double guy. So what's one third of fifty? This is so dangerous. We've been trying to do math it a is. lot today, trying to condense normal okay. stats into a sixty game season. We need a stats and info department because that is we tricky. Do. So if he can give me seventeen doubles in sixty games, seventeen doubles and maybe five home runs, and get on base like he always has at thirty eight percent. Then that's my number three hitter, and I'm fine. I really like him a lot. I hope that so, you're right, Randy. I it. hope you are. That would be great. Matt, those are your numbers to put under the bill of your cap. I mean, don't stress out, Matt. No pressure. But no. Randy has billed you as the number three hitter with some impressive stats this year. Just be Keith Hernandez. Oh, okay. Be, be what Keith Hernandez sure. was in the late 70s, early 80s. Cool, cool. You can do that. We're all good. Well, not in all aspects. No, no. <laughs> yeah, especially now because you never know where that stuff came from. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's your fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head into the Blues booth with our friend, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. We've all just kind of assumed that hockey was going to be back. And because of what Gary Bettman said last month, that uh, we had a timetable set out. And now that timetable is more clear because it's been written out. And the NHL and the NHLPA have agreed on a return to play proposal. And they're closing in on a CBA. And the NHLPA would be able to start voting on Wednesday. Here to talk about that and more is our buddy, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. He was helming the fast lane on Friday, and I was tuned in, Kerbs. I thought it went well. Did you have a good time? Oh, it's always fun. Always fun to get out there, spread the wings, and uh, talk a little bit more than hockey. No doubt about it. Curbs, we got the the word that several Blues players had tested positive for COVID and practices had been halted. How do you think that's going to affect this team, Curbs, to not be out there and have those small group practices right now? Well, they're supposed to get back at it today. Uh, I don't. They, they paused them on Friday, 
and I think that had to be probably for cleaning purposes and just to make sure things uh, things don't get out of hand there, Michelle. So I, you know, it, it, when you read through even more of the specifics that they've negotiated at this point to get things green and things far going, it's going to get even more rigid and even and even tighter. And they've got things even specific when they're in the bubble, for example, of a player that tests positive will end up being isolated for 10 days. And you mentioned being locked in your hotel room for 10 days. Um, th- those are the things that will, uh, you know, these players are going to have to be dealing with. But the fact that some players tested positive cannot be a surprise. Uh, I'm sure you're going to see more over time from these different teams. And how you handle it, how you uh, quarantine, how you, you know, I guess in your own, in, in, in their much smaller way, how, how they basically flatten the curve and don't let it spread is going to dictate the success of this for everybody. And, and curbs, we know hockey players probably more than any other sport. They, A, like to spend time with each other, and B, like to get out and about. This will be a pretty dramatic lifestyle change for a lot of these players. Well, this is going to be a massive lifestyle change for everybody that's involved. Though. The 52 people that are going with the team anywhere from you know, a digital uh, social media content person or, you know, or a team physician that goes with it too. You know, once you're in the bubble, you're in the bubble and you're not going to be permitted to leave. Uh, and, and there could be some pretty strict fines and losses of draft picks and, and other things if, if compliance doesn't happen, Randy. So it is going to be, but, you know, I, I listen, I liked what Adam Wainwright had to say yesterday that, I, you know, I saw on social media where they – you know, the veteran players even told the younger guys, look, this is the way it's got to be. we got to do this for three months. And if, you, if you're these guys, you know, you're going to have to do it for if, if you go all the way to the Stanley Cup final for two, two and a half months. Families uh, appear like it's they're going to be permitted to join them if you go to the conference final or Stanley Cup final. Um, so, you know, you're talking basically a minimum of about five weeks without their families. So maybe not as bad as they had originally assumed, and that is assuming that somebody would bring their family at that point. But, yeah. It, it is going to be a lifestyle change. Now they're going to have areas. They're going to have uh, bubble excursions. They're they're going to they're going to do some things to try and keep it, you know, as normal for these guys as possible. But let's face it, whatever that as normal as possible it will be is nowhere near close to the normal that people are used to. Absolutely, curbs and. You know, you mentioned Adam Wainwright and the leadership that the Cardinals have. The Blues obviously have that as well. They have great leadership. They have a great culture. And I don't wonder if now that this virus has directly impacted them. I I felt like because of their leadership, they would take this seriously anyway. But now, whether you're a player that tested positive or you're looking around and you're seeing one of your teammates test positive, I would think that if I was already going to take this seriously, that I would take it that much more seriously moving forward. Well, you know, one of the things, guys, and and. Just so everybody knows, I, like I have not talked to some of the players about this yet, you know. But, but when you do more reading, and, and you do know that, that part of the testing is going to be, you know, like like when they first came in, you know, they had to they'd, they'd get an EKG done. Is the impact of this virus on not just the lungs, but potentially your cardiovascular system, and and that's a completely different. I mean, look that that's a completely different. Um, you know, impact of this virus and people thinking, well, you just feel bad. You know, you have, you know, the, the respiratory aspect of it, you know, and look, when you, when you do see reports, you know, the Broadway star uh, that I was reading about this morning at, at 41 years of age, you know, that, that passed away because of it looked like there's, um, you know, I think that if, if somebody is not taking this seriously, then, then they're nuts. And, and which, okay, let's face it. we got a lot of nuts out there, but, um, it is up to the leadership, and it's up to these guys to look at each other and say, "Hey, we got it." Well, I tell you what. If, let me put it this way: 
if there was ever a time where you're sitting around the locker room and you're thinking you're doing something for the, the logo on the front, not the name on the back. I mean, this is one of those times, no matter what sport you're in, every single thing you do, you're doing every bit as much for your teammate and his family as you are for yours, uh, you, you and your family, because whether it be paycheck, whether it be um, health, any one of those factors, it is you are in it together. There is no individualism in this one. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, with us on 101 ESPN. And Kerbs, uh, during the portion of the season that we did play, Buffalo had an early season excursion to Finland. And they left their broadcasters back in Buffalo and did the games off of a monitor. And th- they made it sound good. And I know that you and Joey will make it sound good when you come back. But have you talked to anybody and have you developed kind of a thought process for an approach that you'll take in broadcasting a game off of a monitor? Yeah, you know, another guy that did it a little bit was Dave Miskin, who was the, the voice of the Tampa Bay Lights. Mm-hmm. His wife his wife got sick with cancer, and so he, he actually stayed home for a good portion of, uh, of half a season to take care of his kids while his wife was sick. And so he, he did it. I mean, he did some of them from his living room. I remember one time uh, I was tuning in and caught the dog barking in the middle of the game, which was fantastic. <laughs> um yeah, you know what? We're we're waiting on a couple of things from the league on that, Randy, in terms of what types of feed that they are sending to us. Uh, obviously, I think you know we, we we requested, hey, we want to be able to see the bench uh, every, uh, the whole time, so some static cameras on the benches, uh, the whole ice. It's not going to be the same. You won't have the exact same feel, uh, and, and you're going to miss some things. Like we're going to get some guys' names wrong. Uh, who's on the puck from time to time? Uh, but you just accept, accept that as the reality for what it is. And, and, and do the best, and I think fans will understand that too. But wh- whether we do it in the control room down at Enterprise Center or, uh, or how that comes out, that hasn't been determined yet. But we are we're, we're starting to formulate how we'll, we'll come through it. And I'll tell you what, Michelle and I have talked about this several times, but again, it reinforces how important and how great it was that the Blues won last year. The fact that you were able to broadcast in the booth in Boston, it just won't be the same for whoever wins the Cup this year if the the broadcasters aren't in the same building. And if if the fans aren't in the building, if Gary Bettman isn't able to present the Cup like he did last year, the fact that the Blues won it last year is huge. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, The fact that they won it in that normal situation, no doubt. And, and look, I, I honestly, I still think if the Blues win it again this year, it's going to be huge. It'll still be as big, but you're right. Like like we were just talking about the normal. It, it won't be the same as, as what it was last year in terms of having the fans and all that there. But I still think it'd be pretty awesome to go into that next season sometime in December saying we're the two-time defending champs and and just carry that. And, and, and that would be, that in and of itself would be special. And so you're the COVID Cup winners and, you know, you've got a piece of history that's going to stick around forever, and 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 I abs- I absolutely love that part of it. But yeah, it, I'm I'm glad that they did it last year, and so that first cup happened at a time where you weren't dealing with the same kind of uh, issues that you would have to be dealing with this year. Curbs, hope you had a great Fourth of July weekend, sir. Thanks for the time. I did, Randy. Thank you, Michelle. You guys have a great start of the week, and we'll talk to you during the week. You bet. See you later. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN, joining us in the Blues booth. Next up, we have The Fight coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 
In the red corner, the challenger, Average Joe Listener! Listener! And in the blue corner, fighting out of the mean streets of Creve Corps, the undisputed king of morning drive, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Randy You heard the fans you know open. It's Carragher and Smallman, and it's time for the fight, 8.32 in the morning. Let's welcome in our challenger today. Our fighter is Zach. Zach, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing well. You ready to take on Randy? I'm ready as you can be. Yep. All right, Zach. Question number one. Last season, Arizona Diamondbacks third baseman Eduardo Escobar became only the fourth switch hitter in baseball history to have at least 30 home runs, 20 doubles, and 10 triples in a season. Who was the last Cardinals switch hitter to have at least 30 home runs, 20 doubles, and 10 triples in a season? Was it Ted Simmons, Red Shandies, or Ripper Collins? Wow. Uh, let's go Red Shandies. On this date in 1991, the MLB owners approved a plan for two expansion teams for the 1993 season. One of those expansion teams was the Colorado Rockies. Who was the other expansion team? Was it the Florida Marlins, Arizona Diamondbacks, or the Tampa Bay Devil Rays? Marlins. All right, Zach, question number three. The major tennis tournament Wimbledon would have been underway right now had it not been canceled. Who won the men's singles title at Wimbledon last year? Was it Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, or Rafael Nadal? Uh, Novak Djokovic. And the last one here, we expect Jack Flaherty will get the Cardinals opening day start this year, which looks like it will be against the Pittsburgh Pirates, according to sources. Who was the Cardinals opening day starter last year? Was it Miles Michaelis, Carlos Martinez, or Adam Wainwright? Michaelis. All right, Zach, we have Tanner going out to get Randy. Zach, did you have a great 4th of July weekend? I did. Did you? You know, it was all right. Did you do anything fun? Uh, Yeah, I took my son out on the lake. Oh, sounds great. And I was going to ask you, did you watch the House of Pain play Saturday night? I did not, but I caught some of the highlights on social media. It looked very cool. Yeah. It was nice seeing some Illini basketball. You know, gosh, I still am up. Of all the things that we lost, I'm most upset about the Battlehawks and right. Illinois' chance in that tournament, uh, Zach. I tell you. Right. Randy feels my feels our pain here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, Randy, say good morning to Zach, your, your competitor today. Zach, great to have you with us. Thanks for listening, and thanks for playing. Yep, thanks, Randy. All right, Randy. Question number one. Yes. Last season, Arizona Diamondbacks third baseman Eduardo Escobar became only the fourth switch hitter in baseball history to have at least 30 home runs, 20 doubles, and 10 triples in a season. Who was the last Cardinals switch hitter to have at least 30 home runs, 20 doubles, and 10 triples in a season? Cardinals switch hitter that had 30 homers, 10 doubles, 20 and doubles, 20 doubles, and 10 triples? Correct. Wow. In a season? In a season. Wow, I didn't even know that the Cardinals had a switch hitter that had done that. Um, well, Simmons never hit that many triples. I can't imagine that Carlos Beltran had that many triples when he was with the Cardinals. Um, Templeton never hit 30 home runs. Willie never hit 30 home runs. Ozzy certainly never hit 30 home runs. So we've got to think of a switch hitter that hit 30 home runs. I'll do the lifeline. Ted Simmons, Red Shandies, Ripper Collins. Mm, I'll go with Rip Collins. 
All right, Randy, on this date in 1991, the MLB owners approved a plan for two expansion teams for the 1993 season. One of those expansion teams was the Colorado Rockies. Who was the other expansion team? In uh, that year was the Marlins. Randy, Wimbledon would be underway right now had it not been canceled. Who won the men's singles title at Wimbledon last year? Um, I'll go with, uh, was it Nadal? I'll go, I'll go Nadal. Right, Randy, last one here. We expect Jack Flaherty will get the Cardinals opening day start this year, which looks like we'll be against the Pittsburgh Pirates, according to sources. Who was the Cardinals opening day starter last year? Last year's opening day starter, I think it was Miles Michaelis. We've got a winner. We have a winner. And new champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Congratulations, Zach. You guys tied, so the tie goes to the listener. Let's run through the answers here. It was 3-3, three to three, Randy and Zach. The last Cardinal switch hitter to have at least 30 home runs, 20 doubles, and 10 triples in a season was Ripper Collins. He had this stat line in the 1934-1935 season. Oh, excuse me, 1934 season. He had 35 home runs, 40 doubles, and 12 triples. Um, that 1993 season, the two expansion teams were the Colorado Rockies and the Florida Marlins. Novak Jokovic mm. won the men's singles title at Wimbledon last year. He beat Roger Federer in five sets. And last year's Cardinals opening day starter was Miles Michaelis. Zach, congratulations, and we will talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, Zach, great. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. It is 837, Carriker and Smallman. And... Uh, what, are we having a debate here? Well, I was just wondering if I might have messed up because we did have a tiebreaker question. Should I have used this, Tanner? I forgot. We could have used a tiebreaker. We could save it for tomorrow well, just in case. Save the tiebreaker for yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, save it because it's a good question. Okay. So sorry, you're going to give it to me now? Should I give it to him? I guess we could can give Can you it come to up him. with another one tomorrow? Yeah, I can come up okay, with another one tomorrow. Okay, I was going to say, I don't want to cause extra work for you. Randy, when was Stan Musial's last year as a Cardinals player? 1963. Man, nailed it. Sorry. I'm glad glad we didn't have the tiebreaker for Zach. (laughs) Uh, Michelle Bryson DeChambeau won the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit over the weekend. And he drove the daylights out of the ball. His uh, 21st longest drive was 346 yards. He was was hitting the 376, 384. It was unreal, and we talked earlier during one of the early tur- earlier tournaments about he about how he bulked up. He's a monster. He is definitely put on some good weight. Yeah, and it's more than just being big. There's a lot of big guys mm-hmm. that can't hit the golf ball that far, but he's using his scientific approach to golf and hitting the golf ball. And I want to figure out what he's doing. Oh, you're going to start getting in the gym, Randy? Yeah, I need to get buff so that I can hit the ball as far as, well, not as far because I'm older, but I want to hit the ball far. You're going to walk in here one day and look like Brooks Kepka. But even Kepka doesn't hit the ball that far. Yeah. Because you have to use the science, too. So congratulations to Bryson DeChambeau, who's been really good, and maybe he'll be that guy. <laughs> Remember all the other golfers got on him last year for playing so slow? Maybe yes. he'll be that guy that becomes the villain in pro golf that people tune in to see. Do you think golf needs a villain? I do. do. Tiger, even though he was great and most people rooted for him, he was kind of the villain because he was 
the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Yankees. He was the evil empire. And I I do believe that there's got to be a guy that we really like and a guy that we really dislike. And I think DeShambo can be the guy that we really dislike. And whether it's Kepka or Rory, one of those guys can be the person that we really like. The thing with Tiger that was so interesting is while people hated him, they also wanted him to win. Yeah. Especially when he was at the bottom. You know, once he had fallen from grace, while people were angry with him and didn't like him, they were like, can he come back and do this? He was both. He was the guy that was the villain, but he was also the hero at the same time. Yes. He was kind of the anti-hero, right? Totally. And... He's the one guy, especially because he doesn't hit the ball like he used to, but he's the one guy that I would think when he gets into a tournament with DeChambeau, and if if those two are playing on Sunday, everybody will be rooting for Tiger. If they're playing the back nine at the PGA Championship, everybody in the world will be rooting for Tiger Woods. After I had our experience at the PGA Championship and I saw Tiger Woods, a.k.a. golf's version of the Beatles, and the way Mm -hmm. that people... I, we use the word galvanize a lot today on the show, Randy. Galvanized towards Tiger. And granted, he had not come back and won yet, so it was a, one of the best storylines in sports, and we thought it was going to happen here in St. Louis. But the, to watch the uh, impact and the effect that he had on people was something I'll never forget. And the coolest part about it for me, and we were near each other. You were at the 18th green. I was at the, uh, the uh, 10th tee. And when he got out to 13 and hit a big putt way on the other end of the Mm -hmm. golf course, you could hear the roar. And then seven seconds later, with the big screen in front of us on delay, you could see the putt go in. What's the closest thing to that that you've seen in another sport? The way that one person was able to captivate that entire audience? I mean, people followed him around like he was the Beatles. Yeah, I, I don't know that there is an individual in sport. Like that, I, I guess from a team sport, McGuire was that way in '98. Uh-huh. But I don't think anybody anybody gets the adulation that Tiger got that weekend. I don't think I've ever seen it. I mean, the closest thing I could come up to was LeBron because mm-hmm. uh, he's been both the villain and the hero as well, and has that sort of star power pull. But it is really rare. It's a rare thing, and golf needs that. You're right. Golf needs to get one of these young guys to be able to capture people the way that he did. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, find out what's going on in Columbia with the Mizzou football team. Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and it is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com is with us to talk a little bit about what's going on with the Mizzou football program at the moment. Uh, Gabe, we always appreciate your time. Thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? No problem. I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Everything's good. Let's start with this. Uh, Players came back last month. How has the process gone? And obviously coaches don't have access to the players on a regular basis. But uh, from your reporting, how has the process gone with players returning in terms of being able to stay healthy and get some work done? Yeah, I mean, very limited access and information. Right now, really the only thing the media is mostly getting is is what programs want them to get. Um, some of them are releasing 
information, you know, on, on how many positive tests they've had and such. Uh, Missouri wasn't going to, did, I, I think kind of got pressured into doing it a little bit. Uh, I think they said five positive tests. Uh, not all of those are players. Not all of them are, are football people. Um, but, you know, we talked to Larry Roundtree one day, and, and he said that it's all very controlled. And the issue really is, is this, and Missouri – Thus far, seems to be doing okay with it. We talked to Roundtree and to Daniel Parker and some other guys, and and they said, "Look, this is a for upperclassmen. It's accountability um, of behaving yourself and not doing stupid things when you aren't in the facility. And for the underclassmen, it is, hey, I'm I'm doing this for the older guys, so I don't cost them a season." Um, the the three hours or whatever it is per day they're in the facility isn't really that big a problem. I mean, you know, uh, like a lot of people have said, they're probably safer working out there than at their home gym. Everything is disinfected. Everything is enforced. Guys are kept six feet apart, all that. The problem is the 21 hours the rest of the day when college kids are college kids. And we've seen it in Baton Rouge. We've seen it in Manhattan. We've seen it a, a number of places where these kids are, you know, getting positive tests and doing things a, a lot of times, not always, certainly, but a lot of times because they're doing things like going to parties, going to bars, doing things that college kids do. Um, and so that's, I, I mean, that's always been the issue. You know, people have, have for months or at least weeks been confusing this with, well, we can play college football because college football players aren't going to die from this. And that has never been the issue. And people that have focused on that, uh, frankly, just at this point, aren't really smart enough to listen. Great point, Gabe. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Coach Drinkwitz. Early returns on him have been great. We obviously haven't seen the product on the field, but his recruiting efforts have been really successful. And I know he's been taking a very intentional approach to recruiting, but just because you have a great approach doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get the job done. So what is you what do you think of it is about coach drink that has made him successful this early on in his recruitment efforts? I think there's a couple things. One, he does have energy and charisma and you know, he's um oh, look, there's no other way to put it. He's got more personality than anybody that's coached here in 20 years. There's no question. Um, I think he's probably, you know, better on a FaceTime call or when he'll be able to do it in a living room than Barry Odom or, or Gary Pinkle were. He's just a different personality uh, that I think probably resonates more with a high school kid. Now, the other thing is we've talked about this a lot on our site. and It's never really been about Missouri, but there is a bump for a new coach in recruiting, right? A, a coach takes over a program. And he gets to sell this. Mostly what he gets to sell is I've never failed. (laughs) I am undefeated, you know, and there is nobody has ever seen me screw up. Um, And so there's always first year or two than it did with the last guy. Now at Missouri, there had only been one opportunity to see that happen. And it was December of 2015 with Barry Odom and it didn't happen. And sure. Part of that is Barry Odom's fault. Uh, I would think, but a big part of it is also the fact that everything that had happened the month before the coaching change meant that Missouri was never going to get that bump from a new coach. So I, almost regardless of who the coach was. So I, I think it's a combination again, Drinkwitz deserves a lot of credit for it. Um, but I think he also is in a circumstance where you 
usually see a bump, and just at Missouri, the only time we'd seen it, we didn't see one. And a 17-year-old now that's being recruited, who was 12 then, wasn't paying attention to what was going on on the Mizzou campus probably in 2015. That's more in the rearview mirror, right? And it's especially in the rearview mirror, guys, because if you look at it, what's happening across the country at, at campuses all over is really not very different from what happened here in November of 2015. Now, there are some different people. Fans get mad at me for saying that. Uh, there are some differences. Um, but you know what the biggest difference is? Is how this message is being received. I, I mean, look at the statement Kylan Hill made, the statement Chuba Hubbard made, mm-hmm. the statement the kids at Kansas State made. Tell me what the big difference is there. Well, there, there's really only one. It's happening in July, so games aren't threatened. Um, but also, hey, hopefully we have made progress in the last five years, and we are a little more um, sensitive and receptive to some of these issues. Uh, but I do, I do think it's interesting. You know, I had Pat Ivey on my podcast. We talked about it a little bit. I would love to get the honest thoughts of a Jamon Moore or a Charles Harris or an Anthony Sherrills and say, what – you know, do you, how do you look back now at November 2015 and how you guys were greeted? Because the truth is, not just with Missouri fans, but across the country, those kids were kind of villainized. Um, and a lot of kids are doing what they did then and, and are being greeted much more positively and, and, frankly, seen as, you know, agents of change and and kids who are doing really good things, which I think they are. Um, and, and maybe we all should have been a little more open to that idea five years ago that that's what those kids in Missouri were. Kids are smart, and that group was probably the first football team to recognize that players are the product. And yes. if they withhold the product, they hold all the sway. They've got all the power. Yep, and, and I think you're seeing that relating a little bit to the, I'll be interested to see what happens over the next two months and who the first college football player is to say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable and I'm not playing. Um, they can't make me play for nothing. Uh, I, I think, you know, the difference, the, one of the big reasons college football is so hard to bring back, Patrick Mahomes gets paid whatever amount of money he gets paid. And he can decide whether that money is worth it to him or not. I mean, we saw David Price, right? He gave up, I don't know, $12 million, $20 million. I don't know what the number was. But he said, I'm not going to play because I don't feel safe. Um, and so he doesn't get that $12 million. There is a, there's a trade-off there. I mean, college players already get nothing. So if you're – and I don't even want to use a specific player's name, but if you're a kid who is – very likely to be in the NFL at this time next year. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see the first one that comes out and says, look, I get nothing out of this. I, I'm not going to do this. They're putting me at risk, and I get nothing out of it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, Gabe. Um, I want to circle back to something you said about Coach Drinkwitz when you said, hey, let's be honest, this guy's got personality, and he really does. And I wonder how that's going to translate to the team not only when we see them on the field, but just the way the team is in general. What do you think the identity or the culture of Mizzou is going to be under Coach Drink? Well, I, I mean, obviously, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, he, you know, he's done everything right so far. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, I think, been better in every aspect than any Missouri fan could have hoped. 
in December. But the one thing that I think if you're having this conversation, you have to admit is he's been a head coach for one year with players he didn't recruit taking over for a coach who was already really good and had a really good program built. Um, you know, I, I mean, if Scott Satterfield is is still the head coach at App State last year, like I don't think it's a shot at Eli Drinkwood saying they probably still go 12-1 and one and, and probably still have the same season. So ultimately, it's we've got to get two or three years down the road because I think he, he gets a free pass this year. I mean, I think any first-year head coach gets a free pass, but I think that's more true this year than ever. Like, I don't care if he goes 2-10. and 10. I, I won't judge him. Like, he, he had three spring practices. Um, he's, there are guys on his team he's probably never really met. I, I, I'm not going to judge him on the field this year. But two or three years down the road, let's, you know, we're going to get a little bit better idea of who he is and, and how he runs the program and, and all that. Um, you know, I think Barry Odom was probably a little more business. Uh, it, it, that sounds bad. I, that sounds like I, I'm not saying Eli Drinkwitz is this fun guy who just lets them jack around all day. That's not the point. But uh, like I said, this, Barry Odom was more buttoned up. He was more, hey, let's come, let's play football, let's get to work. That's what I want to talk about. I, I, I don't really have any interest in, you know, being making friends with the guy interviewing me and making jokes and all that. Eli Drinkwitz is different. He's not afraid to be who he is and to show that side of himself publicly. Now, again, uh, you know, it's eight months without a game and no coach is ever more popular than before he loses for the first time. Gabe DeArmond, a couple more quick things. Number one, you tweeted yesterday that the Tigers opener is scheduled for two months from yesterday, September 5th against Central Arkansas. As you yeah. talk to your contemporaries around the country and specifically in the SEC, do you think that's realistic? Gosh, guys. I mean, I... I'm I'm not super optimistic right now, especially that it's Central Arkansas. I I think maybe the most likely thing is we see conference only scheduled if they can play in the fall. Uh, you know, I saw saw a report that some people are thinking the Ivy League's gonna come out this week and, and push everything in the fall to spring and look, every, everybody kinda ripped the Ivy League when they were the first ones to do it in March. Uh, like I said, like they're not stupid up there, right? They, they tend to, <laughs> to have some good idea. And I, I just think there's so many things. I know Ben Fredrickson wrote some about it, and a lot of us have. There's so many things that make college sports so much harder to, to bring back. And I just don't see college football being the first. I mean, we are, we're five weeks from when there has to be a decision made. And the truth is, if you talk to people, nobody knows anything. I mean, college football strategy right now seems to be wait as long as we can and hope. And I, I just don't really know if that's a strategy. No doubt. And finally, Gabe, you have up at uh, PowerMizzou.com, and you're a graduate of the incredible J School at Mizzou, and Power Mizzou is going to have an alumni scholarship school. How can people get involved, and if people would like to contribute, how can they do so? Yeah, I've tweeted out uh, a link. I know if you go to the journalism school and, uh, you know, go to, I think it's giving, and we'll be on a page with a list of scholarships. But, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible response so far. We just kind of started out wanting to, to do something that, that actually made some sort of a tangible difference rather than just tweeting, hey, we think this is important. Uh, got a lot of great response, and, and it is 
on my Twitter page, it's, it's the pin post mm-hmm. on our Facebook page. It's the pin post. So, um, Hopefully everybody can find it. If not, and you're interested, just email me at powermazoo at gmail.com, and, and I'll point you in the right direction. All right. Gabe, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. That is Gabe DeArmond, and you can follow him on Twitter at Gabe DeArmond, D-E-A-R-M-O-N-D. And right there at the top is that scholarship uh, for Power Mizzou to the Mizzou J School. Coming up with Michelle and Randy, it's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health is here in person or online to provide the safe, high quality and personalized care you've come to expect. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. Nine oh four on Carriker and Smallman on one hundred and one ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker, and a lot of news coming out from Jeff Passan just in the last few minutes, including this one just now. After a positive coronavirus test among Toronto Blue Jays players, a number remained behind in Florida, while the rest of the team traveled to Toronto for training camp. According to Jeff Passan, the players will remain in Florida for a few days before they are cleared to go to Canada. Among other things, the pass has reported in the last 15 minutes. The Nationals canceled workouts today as results of their Friday coronavirus tests still have not shown up. Comes on the heels of the A's canceling a workout yesterday because of no results and testers not showing up to Angels camp either. This is really working out great for baseball. Great. All the logistics that should have been ironed out prior to this happening, clearly not buttoned up in the way they need to be. The first thing, Michelle, the first thing you concern yourself with is the money? safety and well-being oh. of your oh, players. Oh, sorry, Randy. I... Okay, the, the first thing oh, we money? think no? of, not Rob no? Manfred. Okay, got it. So you got to take care of everybody that's getting tested. How can you not have testers show up to Angels camp? How can you not get the results back for the Nationals quickly? It's striking how incompetent baseball is in this regard. They cannot get out of their own way. And if you're a player and you already have reservations about this and then you got tested on Friday and here we are on Monday and you still don't have your results, I wouldn't feel comfortable going out to practice either. And I know that it's going to take some time because they have to circumvent everything through Utah. Right, Randy? Utah? Right. But that doesn't seem like a great plan. You know, why don't they have testing facilities at each one of these stadiums where players are training? Why aren't they getting tested there and getting the results there? Why didn't they work out a system where they could have immediate results? I mean, I went and got a COVID test. I've been dealing with allergies and I went and got a COVID test just to make sure. You know, I I knew it was allergies, but I feel like anytime you Google COVID, the the symptoms list is endless. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to be sure that not only was I not sick, but more importantly, that I wasn't passing it on to others. I made an appointment. I, I showed up. They confirmed me with my ID. They had everything ready to go. Tested me. I had my results in less than an hour. Less than an hour to find out that I was negative and could go on about my life. And Michelle is a radio broadcaster in St. Louis. 
On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the Washington Nationals, the world champion Washington Nationals, with Max Scherzer making $35 million a year and Steven Strasburg making better than $30 million a year and some of the best young players in Mm -hmm. all of baseball. Mm -hmm. And their general manager, Mike Rizzo, releases this note. Per MLB's protocol, all players and staff were tested for COVID-19 on Friday, July 3rd. 72 hours later, we have yet to receive the results of those tests. We cannot have our players and staff work at risk. Therefore, we have canceled our team workouts scheduled for this morning. We will not sacrifice the health and safety of our players, staff, and their families. Without accurate and timely testing, it is simply not safe for us to continue with summer camp. Brought to you by Camping World. <laughs> Major League Baseball needs to work quickly to resolve issues with their process and their lab. Otherwise, summer camp and the 2020 season are at risk. That's Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals. Well, you know, Randy, I got my test on at Walgreens that shares the same logo as the Nationals. Yeah. And it's amazing that the two organizations could have the same logo and that I could have my test results in less than an hour. And the Nationals, 72 hours later, still don't have their test results. That's unbelievable. And obviously, the Blues have to have some concern here in St. Louis after multiple players and a coach tested positive for COVID-19. And again, Michelle, if I'm a player walking into Centene Ice Center, I'm going to do so with a great abundance of caution. Absolutely. You are taking this seriously beforehand, and then not only does it affect your teammates, but you're thinking, okay, I've watched not one, not two, but four guys who were potentially together get it. Who knows if we've been practicing together? I'm sure that everyone has been tested, and they're if they don't have those results already, they're awaiting the results. But if you weren't taking this as seriously as you should have before, having it hit so close to home should be a wake-up call. And if you were taking it seriously before and you see how your teammates could let their guard down a little bit and then come up with a positive test here, you're looking at this and saying, okay, not only am I first and foremost worried about the health and safety of myself, my teammates, my family, etc. But I have a great chance to go out there and win another Stanley Cup right. championship here. And you never want anyone to test positive for the virus. But I think it if you ever were going to have it, having it happen right now is a great wake-up call for everybody to say, okay, this is very real, this is very serious, and moving forward, if we want to be able to compete, we better be on, on very strict protocol here. And Once they get to Edmonton, and the Blues will go to Edmonton, and the Eastern Conference will go to Toronto, it is going to be a tight bubble. According to TSN, each bubble will be tightly secured. No one will be able to enter or exit that is not authorized. Players will be living in single occupancy rooms, no roommates with each team assigned designated floors. Players are not permitted to enter each other's rooms. Housekeeping will be provided every third day. Hotel bars and restaurants will be open and available in the bubble, provided social distancing is followed. There you go. You've got everything you need in the bubble. Why risk it? Right. And so I know the Blues were trying to get it out of the way now, but I just don't see how you can put, especially as you said, with a team like the Blues have, how can you put everybody at risk like that? And obviously, I I think the players, their intent was not, hey, we're going to just go out and do whatever. But imagine if they were at a restaurant, even if they're sitting outside and you think, okay, you could be sitting outside, you could be separate, separated from each other six feet, and somebody could have it and the wind catches and you don't have a mask on. And it's something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So even if you're taking precautions to go out 
and do things in a safe manner, nothing is really that safe when you actually think about it. So yeah, I would stay in that bubble. I would stay in my, I would have a bubble within a bubble if I was a player. Yeah. I would be in the bubble and I'd be like, no one get within this distance <laughs> of me. So everyone stay away. Bubble within a bubble. By the way, for NHL players that want to leave the bubble, players who are authorized to leave for a medical reason or extenuating personal circumstance, birth of a child, death of a family member, will be permitted to return. They will be forced to quarantine on return pending four negative tests over a four-day period or longer, depending on the location they visited outside the bubble and on those circumstances. Man. And here's another thing for the Blues to note. Every person will be tested three times, 48 hours apart, in the seven days prior to their charter flight to the bubble. They will not be subject to quarantine upon arrival, including for teams, players, staff coming from the United States. Daily testing will begin upon arrival. Daily testing. During the first five days inside the bubble, uh, exhibition games, individuals will be only allowed to engage in social interaction with people from their own team's traveling party. Well, hopefully that, that daily testing, they're getting immediate results. And they're yeah. not waiting like baseball, 72, 72 hours. And they're still waiting. Still waiting. Yeah. And by the way, I hope the Blues provide uh, St. Louis Blues masks. All the teams and all the players will have mandatory masks inside mm-hmm. the bubble. I hope the Blues have uh, St. Louis Blues masks. Listen, we know that the Blues are going to have good gear, and that is head-to-toe, including masks. You know yeah. they're going to have very fashionable Blues I'm surprised blues masks. the Cardinals don't. I think every member of the Cardinals... Mike Schilt, John Mozeliak, every single player should have a Cardinals mask. It's good branding. It is. But also you want self-expression. You want to let them wear a mask that they want to wear. But they aren't expressing themselves. It's not... What the players have so far is not cool. It's not, it's not bad. It's just not cool. It hasn't been cool yet. No. So let's work... Let's Somebody get the Rolling Stones with the tongue. You know, get the Rolling Stones mask out there. Next time you get on one of the Zoom meetings, that should be your question to a player. Yeah. How, much, how much time and effort are you putting in to picking your mask from a fashion standpoint, and might I suggest... I'll do that today. Do that today. Should I be wearing a blues mask just to troll them a little bit? No, Randy, because they're Team STL, so you're supporting them if you're supporting okay. the blues. Got it. They did put out a joint statement. They are Team STL. Yes, they are. Coming up on 101 ESPN with Michelle and Randy, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around, it's next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Always a fun segment. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Here we go. You know what? I've been on kind of a roll there. You have. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. All right, Randy. Um... You know, we just had an entire segment where we're talking about the cluster that is testing and baseball and just, you know, all of this negative stuff surrounding baseball. We need to talk about something a little a little uplifting. I like this. In baseball. It's something that we can all rally around, right? Well, Trevor Bauer, we know that he's a pitcher for the Reds, and he says what he thinks. He's pretty outspoken. So he posted this tweet, Randy. He, at Bauer Outage, that's his handle. He says, baseball is back, everyone. Intake testing done. Lots of really high-tech stuff going on here. But anything help us to win is in, right? And it's a picture of him sitting at his locker. And he's wearing a t-shirt that has a trash can, the World Series trophy on top of it. It says Trash Town. And then surrounding it in a circle, it says Houston cheated 2017 chumps. I really like that. I'm proud of Trevor Bauer. I hope the Cardinals sign him when he's a free agent after this season, simply because of that. He, 
um, perhaps more than any player, appears to be a real fan and speaks in logical tone about where baseball should go. Remember, he went after Scott Boris, and I was totally on board with that. He seems to speak from the viewpoint of a fan more than any other player on Twitter. He does. And it made me smile because I needed a laugh surrounding baseball, but also it made me smile because I'm like, the Astros aren't going to get away with this. There yeah. might not be fans there to heckle them, and you might not see the brawls because players can't touch each other. They can't fight in the way we need to, but they're not going to get away with this, okay? Players are not going to forget. No. It's pretty funny that he mentions all the high-tech stuff and then yeah. <laughs> that picture. Anything to win, right? <laughs> That's great. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, I need your thoughts on this. I'm just going to give you the headline. Okay. Balloon trip to the edge of space by 2021. Here's some details. Okay. A Florida company, they're planning to fly passengers to the edge of space and a high-tech version of a hot air balloon. There's going to be a pilot, up to eight travelers, riding in a pressurized capsule suspended from an enormous blimp. They're looking for an early 2021 target date for this. Would you do it? Would you go in a bubble to the edge of space? Hell no. (laughs) I would not. I would go up in a hot air balloon, but what positives could be drawn from going to the edge of space and dealing with that sort of pressure in uh, a capsule? So you, you aren't even really looking out over the horizon like a normal hot air balloon. You're just stuck in a capsule. There's nothing to be gained from that. Great view. Randy, imagine your Instagram content from the edge of space. So that that capsule has windows? Yes. From the renderings, it's kind of a, it looks almost like a teardrop. And then in the circle around it, it's clear. So you can see out to where you're going. But the pressure could also break it. True. I imagine they're going to have a lot of test runs. Go fast though. Right. And even in the photo, there's a woman leaning over, looking down, presumably at earth. And there's someone standing behind them taking a photo. Like, imagine that content, Randy, that you could turn out. It would be great content on the Insta. There's no doubt about it. It's going to take too long to get there. I'm starting with that. I won't be able to make it to work. So I'm not going to do it for that reason. But that certainly is not the only reason. I'm, I'm not buying in here. Okay, what about this? Will this change your mind? It's a six hour trip. It's going to involve a two hour gentle ascent above 99% of the Earth's atmosphere, up to 100,000 feet. And experience space perspective, this company that's uh, planning on doing this says only enjoyed so far by 20 people in human history. I'll bet you I have to wear a helmet. <laughs> and I'll bet you that in see, the renderings, no one has a helmet on. Really? Okay. No one has a helmet. No, these are just renderings. Does it look, do, do the renderings look like the capsule is small, like I would get claustrophobic? It looks, I'll, I'll put it this way, it looks bigger than the, the, the little egg thing that you get in to get to the top of the arch. I get claustrophobic in that. So do I. But look, I'm just going to show you my computer. You, you are. Look at this rendering. They're looking down upon the earth. Okay. It's not cool enough for me. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll. Hard pass no matter what. Yeah. I, I will share a photo from space that I find on the internet on my gram instead. Okay. You know what? I would do it. I would totally do it. Okay. I'm proud of you. I mean. It's only a six-hour trip, so that's right. not bad. It's like a... Although Gilligan's Island thought they were on a three-hour tour, and look what happened to them. You know what, Randy? That's an excellent point. <laughs> but you know what? Not only would it be... It's a gentle ascent, you know? <laughs> right. It seems like it would be a pleasant trip. If you're going to the edge of space in two hours, that's not gentle. No, that is <laughs> speed going. of light. You are going. <laughs> gentle ascent. Um, 
eight people. So you and your friends or family could rent out the entire thing. And great photos, a once in a lifetime experience. And if we're being honest, Randy, life on earth right now, not so great. You know, it's true. things are kind of rough right now. Yeah. So, I mean, a gentle ascent to the edge of space, at least for a few hours, might be a nice escape. All it takes is one of those eight to have the COVID. Yeah, will there be testing before you get in the bubble? This not for the, the Nationals. <laughs> not for baseball, period, it seems like. You're killing me, small. Okay, Randy, we know that a lot of people out there are struggling to find love in the time of a pandemic, right? But can I give you a story coming out of Japan that might be the worst possible way sure. that a guy has been trying to pick up girls? All right, so a little story. A woman, 43-year-old woman, she's in Japan. She leaves a supermarket. She's driving away in her car. She realizes that the driver's side rear tire is completely flat. So what does she do? She pulls over to the side of the road. She gets out. She's examining the tire. While that's happening, another car pulls up. A guy gets out of the car, and he's like, oh, wow, your tire seems to be flat. Let me assist you. And she thinks, wait, this is weird. This has happened to me before, about a year ago. So she calls the cops. The cops quickly realize, they pull the security tape from the supermarket. They realize this guy slashed this woman's tires, followed her, and then swooped in to be the knight in shining armor as a way to meet this woman. Creepy enough, right? Turns out that this guy has done this to over a thousand women where he's been slashing their tires, following them, and then swooping in to try and meet women to say, oh, wow, your tire's flat. Let me assist you. A thousand women, Randy. That's a lot of tire changing. I've pulled over to help people change tires before, and it is not an easy task with the way uh, vehicle jacks are these days. A for effort in terms of the creativity. (laughs) But uh, but if you're if you've done it a thousand yeah, times, a thousand you're not times good at and it's it. not working. Yeah, so uh, I, I think that there's probably a better way to go about finding companionship than this gentleman has found, and he's costing people money because they have to get new tires. But to change a thousand people's tires would be a Herculean task. It's not easy to do. No, and uh, to your point. He had to, he avoided prison by paying back all of these victims for the tires, 279 US dollars each. And he has a GPS tracker now that monitors him to make sure he's not doing this anymore. Okay, from your perspective, you have a flat tire Mm -hmm. and somebody helps you. Right. Does that work to a gentleman's benefit if he does help you change a, a flat tire? So I'm thinking about the scenario I leave the grocery store, someone pulls it behind me, they offer to help. I'm like, oh, wow, thank you. But I'm still probably calling, you know, AAA or mm-hmm. something else. Then what? Then I really thought about this, Randy. Then what's the play? Wow, your tire is flat. I'm going to help you change it. Side note, completely unrelated. Can I have your phone number? I'm not. I'm going to be like, no. no. Yeah. But thank you for your help. Right. That's what I'm thinking. If, if from a male perspective, you help somebody out of the goodness of your heart. But you don't say, hey, you want to grab dinner after you finish and your your hands are all dirty and you're a mess. Right. You're sweaty. Right. It's just not a good idea at all. Also, having a flat tire and having to change it, not a positive experience. So then this, right. this woman is automatically going to be in a bad state of mind Her head anyway. is spinning. Her head is spinning. She's probably stressed out. She's thinking about changing the tire. She's trying to make a phone call. She's thinking about the money this is going to cost her. She's not worried about going out on a date with you. So it's just right. It's a it's a bad execution and clearly didn't work for this guy. And it's just a bad idea, period. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I have a question for you. And sure. I, I was thinking about this. Do you think 
that the wearing of masks will hinder people in determining whether or not they feel like somebody is attractive or not? Yes, big time. I think so, too. Teeth are key, Randy. Teeth are key. Right. And I'm a smiler. You know, I smile at strangers all the time. Yes, you do. And I have noticed that it's been weird because I'm smiling at strangers when I see them and they cannot tell I'm smiling because I'm wearing a mask. And I'm like, oh, I will notice that people I don't think are smiling back at me. And then I'm I'm thinking, oh, they can't see that I'm smiling. Maybe they are smiling back. But I feel like someone's eyes, while certainly um, they can be a very great feature of your face, it's not the feature that we're concerned about. And this is proof also that smiling eyes are a myth because you can't tell somebody smiling from their eyes. When I lived in Italy, Randy, there was a guy that worked at our favorite wine bar and we called him Smiley Eyes because he had such a friendly face. And to your point, I bet if we were there now. Nope. Nope. So there's a nickname that has really no connection anymore. <laughs> None smiley. at all. We couldn't understand him because yeah. we didn't really speak Italian, but we were like, ah, oh, Smiley Eyes. Wine bar, guy. wine bar guy. Yeah, we really just liked him because he gave us a heavy pour. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Good call. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. That is You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, Danny Mac with Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. We're going to talk about where baseball is with this testing. We'll call it a fiasco. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin joins us in studio. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the 10 o'clock hour here on 101 ESPN. Hope you had a good 4th of July weekend. Had a great one. It was awesome. Spent it with the uh, the family. Did a lot of fishing. It was hot. And uh, really enjoyed it, though. It was nice being with the kids and my beautiful wife, Libby, who does a great job and had a lot of fun. What did you barbecue? I had ribs. I didn't do a very good job. Had a great uh, had the great American rib off and just I tried them a different way. But once I put them in the oven, they were just marvelous. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the oven on the ribs, Randy. It's it's the great equalizer, as you well know. <laughs> yeah, it is it's cheating. But hey, it's very good. It, it can't be cheating if it makes them good, right? Yeah. If, if, That's if, true. If the end well, product is good, it doesn't matter how you get there. Well, I, I was going Ask against the Astros. Well, that's true, trash can or not. Um, I, I was going against a buddy of mine. We had, we did the we called it the Great American Rib Off, and mm-hmm. so we had to finish at the same time. And uh, normally, if I would Uh-oh. undercook them or you know whatever, I would. So I really try to do these slow, and mm-hmm. you know, so I, it was it was time I had to take them off the off the uh, the the green egg, and mm-hmm. and I knew they were undercooked just slightly. They still weren't bad, but then if I had normal time and was preparing them properly, I would put them in the oven, and they would have been just been perfect. So I said, okay, everybody can try them, and everybody booed me, and I said, all right, put them in the oven. Yeah. My oldest said, Dad, this sucks. And I said, thanks a lot. But he, if they were perfect, he would have done that to me, too. Yeah, right. Just to rub it in. That has to be difficult. You, you always talk about this low and slow. I do not have the patience to do that, to let it sit that long. If you're looking, you ain't cooking. And you can say that with cut-off sleeves. Yep, and that's a, right. You know, like a Bush beer light cap in America. America. Yeah. That, that's the 4th of July, baby. And really, with a, with a green egg, Michelle. with a Traeger, right. you really you, you don't have to look. It's As a matter of fact, it can be considered a negative to look. That's the point. Yeah. You're looking, you ain't cooking. Because you're exactly. releasing the smoke, right, and the heat? Right. right. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. You're, See, I could grill. I could yeah, grill. you're in. I'm in. You're my, part of the family. My uncle 
for our 4th of July barbecue made the best ribs I've ever had. They fell off the bone. That's what you want. It was delicious. delicious. Shout out yeah. Uncle Terry. Mm-hmm. All right. And how about yours? Yours was good? Yeah, but I didn't... You know what? As I look back this weekend... Oh, I, I guess I did use the Traeger for some burgers. Uh, played it pretty straight, though, with burgers, mm-hmm. brats, hot dogs, stuff like that. Can't mess that up. No, uh-uh. No. So I didn't do any ribs. So. I love cooking ribs, man. It's fun. <laughs> Just fun. I, uh, I like it. Yeah, I, I'm going to do some this summer. I, maybe I'll do some next weekend. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Man. So, I probably will, too. Uh, uh, Fourth of July without baseball. Oh. and uh, So weird, isn't it? it so it, weird. It, it yeah. is. So weird. Michelle, you're right. It's odd. Murkub without baseball? Yeah. Fourth of July? It just doesn't Apple feel Apple pie? Right. Come on. Right. I, I have texted you over the last decade and a half, ever since uh, texting became a thing, because pretty much every... Fourth of July is spent with you, and I'm barbecuing, and then I've got the TV on, so I'm, it's Cardinal Baseball and Danny, and it's barbecuing and going back and forth from the grill, going out during commercials, so that I can watch the game. And it, it is, it, it was weird to not experience everything that we celebrate without baseball. I, it was weird. I, I had a... Um I don't know, some social media reminder or something. I don't know. I guess two years ago we were in San Francisco. I don't mm-hmm. know. It just popped up on my... Oh, a memory? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I just... All this stuff coming back, I, you know, you think about different places that you're at. Um, it's been odd. This whole... For everybody. I mean, come on, everybody. It, it's just been an odd summer for everybody uh for me it's just been weird not going down to the ballpark i have not been to the workouts uh i probably will not go down to the workouts um because i i not that because i don't want to go down there i just i'm trying to be as safe before if and when we go back to work i really just want to be safe i i have to come in here i say have to i enjoy what i do but this is my job right now and you know we're required to come into the studio and i want to do that but i i'm really trying to be as safe ultra safe as I can. I do not want to get the virus. I mean, no one wants to get the virus, but before I go back to work, I'm trying to be ultra safe because I don't want to have anything possibly inhibit the, um, the chances of getting behind the mic to go do a game. And I tried to be ultra conservative and responsible anyway, but I'm trying to be so responsible and, and take it to the nth degree of making sure that I, if and when we come back, and I, I still think it's a big if, that um, I have the chance to do it because I don't want to miss it. I, I miss it so much, guys. I mean, to tell you, and there are days like the 4th of July and there was opening day and things like that that you do miss it, I think, more than others. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys feel that way. Opening day was really hard. Opening day was tough. Home opener was tough. Home opener, yeah, yeah. that was super tough. 4th of July, Fourth those of kind July. of things. But, you know. We'll get we'll get through it. You you come in and you do this show. You've been certainly working during all of this, but yeah. do you miss the pace of calling a game? So much. Have you been tempted to call anything at this point, <laughs> like do play by play for your kids or something? Because you just need to scratch that itch. I I go back. I watch a lot of um, MLB Network. That that part has been really cool for me to have the time to go back. I watch MLB Network religiously anyway, especially during the season. I go back. I've told you guys this a million times. Like, I watch the West Coast games anyway. I can't sleep after our games at night. Um, before I get into the booth, a lot of times I'm watching the early games anyway, seeing what's going on, on around the league. Um, I used to watch Vin all the time. But 
Um, I texted Chip Carey the other night because they put on that Braves-Mets game of the mid-'80s. I think it was in 85 when they had like just the longest rain delay down in Atlanta. And then they, they played for like an hour, and then they had another mm-hmm. two-and-a-half-hour rain delay. And it, anyway, long story short, they wound up playing you know till 4 or 5 in the morning. Okay, And then they had fireworks or whatever it was, and Chip's dad was on the game. And I, I texted Chip, and there's Skip Carey calling the game, and here's Hernandez, you know, and he's doing the game. And it was just funny. We're, you know, going back and forth, but listening to the various broadcasters call the game and how the game has changed and how it's delivered on television, especially that I, I found that kind of fascinating watching the game and listening to those broadcasters. That, that's been kind of fun for me. And the, the big difference is. And you were talking last week about how many billboards you need to read, and there oh are times during the game where you can't be watching the game because you you have the next whether it's the Honda home, Honda home run inning, right? Yeah. See, I'm paying attention. Yeah, you are. Good uh, job, Randy. Thank you. But uh, you know, here's what's coming up on Fox Sports Net Midwest tomorrow. We're back at it at uh, pregame at six thirty. All those things and that game. I think it was 1984. Skip's able just to watch the game and, and didn't have any of the extraneous stuff that we need now because it raises funds. It's it's a revenue driver, but that wasn't there in 1984. The pace of a Keith Hernandez at bat I noticed the other night was unbelievable. Rick Mailer was on the mound, and um, and Skip was talking about how great of a, a two-strike batter Keith Hernandez was. Keith Hernandez didn't step out of the box, and he had something like an eight or a nine pitch at bat, and didn't uh, step out of the box except one time. And he took one down the third baseline, still stayed in the box. And remember how Keith would adjust his helmet? Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. He would, and then kind of just took one little practice swing and then stayed in the box. And Mailer got the ball right back from the catcher or the umpire and went right back to the mound and threw another one. Then he pulled one down the first baseline. Then he he fouled one back and then eventually got a double into the gap in left center. And I was just amazed. That's the thing that's struck me is how quick the uh, the approach is of the pitcher and the batter. Just they're in the box, they get the ball, they go. And, and it's just a different pace to the game. The game is completely different. And the presentation of the game, just they, they just go. I think it's better. I do think it's better. I, I I think the athletes are incredibly better now. Um, not to say that they were bad then. It's just the athletes are bigger and stronger now. I don't necessarily think they're better baseball players, but they're just bigger and stronger now. I had forgotten that Rick Mailer pitched in that game. Yeah. Notable that he also pitched nine innings of relief. Nine innings That's of relief right. in the 1988 game that Jose Okendo pitched here. That's right. That's the, the connection between the two. It's incredible. Amazing. That's Danny coming up. We're going to preview Scoops with Danny Mac. More baseball talk coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carragher and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at 10 o'clock. Mike Ryder is uh, here in the building. Tanner Hendrickson is here. He's our producer engineer, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Hey, let's all go to a bar in Clayton. No? Come on, the Blues did. There's nothing to it. (laughs) What's going to happen with the Blues? Well, these guys need to get to a point where they test negative a couple days in a row. Then you're back in. 
Yep. Play ball, play hockey. Play hockey, get to Edmonton, get yep. in your secure bubble, and uh, everything will be good. Okay, I'm in. How about baseball? Mm-hmm. Baseball, you need, in addition to testing, testing twice. Now, how can they test twice in two days in baseball when you can't get results? Or multiple teams have had no testers show up. Or in the case of the Nationals, who canceled their workout for today, their players and staff were tested on Friday. Today is Monday, and they haven't gotten the results back yet. So the Nationals canceled their workouts for today. And on the West Coast, uh, the A's have not had a full workout yet. And then the Giants have had some issues as well. So it's kind of been hit and miss as we go along here uh, in the first uh, few days of the the opening of camps. Uh, Just come down, I saw Ken Rosenthal retweet this. The Astros also canceled their workout today. They're still waiting their Friday results as well. Okay. Hmm. So that's another team. So we are now, what, 18, 19 days away from the opening of the Major League season. It'll be announced uh, later today on MLB Network, the schedule. So, you know, again, it's a work in progress. It's a very important work in progress. And, you know, hopefully they get this thing uh, right and, and the players feel safe enough not to opt out. And, you know, we have baseball at some point. I would think that has to be particularly frustrating for the Astros, who are used to instantaneous results. Well... As we've seen, whether it be with a trash can or with coronavirus testing, we we need that. If you think any team would have the technology in place to make sure this was speedy and efficient, it is the Houston Astros. One thing we heard, though, from the Cardinal players, and I appreciate guys like Andrew Miller coming out and Matt Carpenter and Adam Wainwright and Mike Schilt. I mean, they've talked about the importance of, of getting on the field of at least at this point not opting out and talking about how important it is not only for them for owners but for everybody involved the fans and you know people make a living off of this and saying hey you know we understand the greater importance of trying to be out there and and also explaining to everyone we are going to pull young players aside and say hey if you're if you're not in line with this thing you better get in line because we are all relying on each other to make sure because it's kind of a house of cards if you bring it in the clubhouse and it spreads and and we get it, it's over. Do you it's guys over. think that this is part of being a St. Louis Cardinal? The, the recognition that in this town, it's more important than it is in most other towns. And the understanding that a lot of guys, Paul Goldschmidt, the latest example, has fallen in love with the fans here because for lack of a better term, we owe it to the fans to give that to them this year. Well, I think they understand in a normal year the importance of what the franchise means to the city, for sure. Um, I would say baseball collectively, because of what they went through in the negotiations and how ugly it turned, not, not just in St. Louis, but everywhere, I think the players understand the importance of what it means. Whether you're playing in Toronto or St. Louis or Miami or Tampa or San Francisco, wherever you're at, I do believe the players collectively understand how important it means to the country to try to play. Maybe not Tampa. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you, the, these players understand in a, in a serious manner. I, they, they understand what this means. I, I do. I mean... And for guys like Mike Leake to step aside and, and forego $6 million and for David Price to mm-hmm. walk away from $12 million, I mean, that, that's it's big money. Now, I realize these guys have made a lot of money, but, you know, they, that's, that's still a lot of money to walk away from. So 
I don't begrudge guys opting out. I've said that from day one. That's a personal decision. And there's going to be more that probably come. But the guys that opt in, and we need to talk more about that, I appreciate that too. And I do think that they put it on their shoulders to say that they're part of the collective importance and the collective good of what baseball can mean to a lot of people. I do. I also think if they're looking at it from a macro, they're probably looking at it from a micro too and how their season's been disrupted and how their career could be upended. Who knows what this is going to look like moving forward? So I think for those players that do opt in, in addition to saying, yeah, we need to do this for the fans, for our organization, for my my money, etc., they're probably looking at it and saying, what if we don't have a season this year? What's it going to look like next year? Is my career all of a sudden looking completely different than I anticipated it to look like? I think it's a great point. I mean, Adam Wainwright, mm-hmm. Yadier Molina, mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys like that. Um and I think those are two great examples here in St. Louis. Um, I, I think you have to look too. After this year, you, you, we all have no idea. First of all, what next season looks like, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But we have no idea what the economic climate of the sport is going to look like if you're a free agent. Um, it's going to be fascinating what sports looks like, especially baseball, if they don't play this year. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think anybody knows. But if, if you're on the backside of your career, and I, that's no disrespect to Yachty or Wayno, and if they were here, they would say that too. They're not 22 years old. Um, if you take this year off and you don't play, it's really hard to come back. I mean, it's just hard to play at that level at that advanced age. So it's it's about also physically just trying to stay somewhat sharp in a 60-game season to be able to come back next year and play mm-hmm. physically, take the money out of it just to play the sport. I'm amazed now, though, that as we sit here on uh, July 6th, the ownership and the baseball front office are supposed to be the adults in the room. And right now it appears the biggest issue are the adults in the room, the people that are supposed to implement the testing, the people that are supposed to be organized, the people that are supposed to keep everybody safe. When you have a situation like Houston, the Angels, the Nationals, that is not on the players one iota. And so that's troubling is that you? I would think if baseball wasn't going to be, at least I was thinking when they came to an agreement, okay, if we don't play, it's going to be because of irresponsible players, not because of disorganized owners. Right now, it looks like it's disorganized owners that are the biggest issue right now. I, I would say this, and this is by no means is this an excuse. You're coming off a of Fourth of, uh, of July weekend. And again, this is no excuse. I mean, you're, you're dealing with players' lives here. And I'm sure that you're going to hear about that. But they, I mean, starting this morning, this has got to be cleaned up. I mean, this is it. I mean, you've got, what, two and a half weeks to get this thing right before opening day. And that's it. And I I really feel that this is going to be a a pivotal week for players because I I felt like, and I I want to get both both your thoughts on this. I, I felt like this weekend and the next couple of days, it would be players saying, okay, I can... I can handle the testing. I'm kind of in a rhythm of this. Okay, I can deal with it. I, I'm. I don't know if used to it is the right way. I don't know if you ever get used to it with no fans and constant testing and the social distancing and the various things that you have to go through. Or some players on the flip side just say, "You know what? I've made my money. This is a. This is. This stinks. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. like this. I'm. I'm done. I'm opting out. I don't feel comfortable. And I'll see you in 2021." which is fine too. But I really felt like this could be a pivotal week as more players, and I do think we'll have that, more players opt out. What do you guys think? I think it's a pivotal week 
or a pivotal few days. And now that you have this, oh, man, it, it just hurts. I was going to say, if I'm a player and I did feel comfortable going back, even despite all the things you just mentioned, and then I do the test and it's on Friday and it's Monday and we still don't have the results, I'm looking around being like, okay, so how, how much time did I spend with these guys? I, I, how I could be exposed. How did they not think about this? How did they not think about a workflow here? How did they not think about logistics? I mean, how many people who are smarter than me got in a room and said, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll have them tested. We'll ship it out to another state and then we'll come back. And yeah, okay, 48 hours roughly, they're going to get the results. How did no one think, okay, well, what if tests come back positive? Then these guys have been working out with each other. They've been close in close contact, sweats going everywhere. How How is none of this thought out before? So if I'm a player and this is happening now and I already had reservations, yeah, I think we might see a lot of other players come out this week and say, I'm not, go- I'm not cool with this. And just let's use Andrew Miller is an example. He's got two small kids. He said yesterday, my, my parents are older. He doesn't want to expose anybody. He said, I would feel terrible if I were the one that transmitted the disease to somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And I would think that there are a lot of players that have that that personal responsibility, and it is a lot of responsibility, that they wouldn't want to do that. And if you have no control because your testing is either non-existent or poor or delayed, then shame on baseball. But if I'm a player, yeah, I I would absolutely, you'd have to consider opting out if you're concerned about other people. Well, I think we'll find out 24, 48 hours. This this could completely change. Um, And I'm sure baseball in the next hour or two will definitely have to come out and address what's happened with these teams for sure. It's unbelievable to me. Before, if I'm Rob Manfred and the front office of Major League Baseball, the first thing I do when I talk to all the GMs, all the owners, first thing we have to do is get testing in place. The very first thing. Let's worry about all the other stuff later. But when those players walk through the door, testing is first and foremost. I can't believe that they have mm-hmm. a situation like this. Yeah. we got to find out here. Yeah. Next day or two, it's got to get cleaned up. Yep. Uh, Danny, we're looking forward to the show. A lot of baseball talk. We'll continue with all this. Good. Yep. Dan McLaughlin scoops with Danny Mac coming up. Tanner Hendrickson doing a great job as our producer engineer today. Thank you. Michelle, always good to see you, especially after a three-day week. I missed you. I missed you too, Ray. It was too long. It was too long. Good to see you again. We won't let this happen again until Labor Day. See you tomorrow. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And for all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Until tomorrow at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.